Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the Meat and Potato Show, conservative talk and awesome rock on KTNTradio.com. morning, Senators. If I may, I'd like to begin by making a statement for the record. The file indicates that Ezra Kramer authorized... Six the President convened an emergency cabinet meeting today to discuss the growing scandal over an alleged government assassination program codenamed Blackbriar. CIA Director Ezra Kramer is under criminal investigation for authorizing the program which in several cases may have even targeted U.S. citizens. Two agency officials have already been arrested. Dr. Albert Hirsch, the alleged mastermind of the Blackbriar program, and CIA Deputy Director Noah Bose, the program's operational chief. Meanwhile, mystery surrounds the fate of David Webb, also known as Jason Bourne, the source behind the exposure of the Blackbriar program. It's been reported that Webb was shot and fell from a Manhattan rooftop into the East River, 10 stories below. However, after a three-day search, Webb's body has yet to be found. Well, good evening, America, and welcome once again to Ambush Studios in Worcester, Massachusetts. We are pumping out 1,250 watts of power for KTNTradio.com. It's unbelievable here, folks. Ask my wife about the electric bell. My good guest waiting online, Linda Gross. The Meat Potato Show, conservative talk, and awesome rock. Yeah, baby. Nine years broadcasting, baby. Here we go. Once more, all these interviews that I've done so many times on this show. Yeah, nine years. And it, it's, it's so amazing. I, I was looking at some of my feeds that it's only been a year uh, since I joined KTNT Radio. And, you know, we upgraded Spreaker with monetizing. All, all sorts of stuff is happening. And it's like, really? It's been a year? And so... One of the great things I do here is I love to talk to other people who do radio out there and, and talk about their experience, everything they've grown and done, and the, the amounts of people they've met, things they've researched and done. I mean, it, the stuff is piled up in my studio here. i got to throw half of it away just because it's that old. But my good guest has been so gracious to Skype in tonight, and I was connected with this person through... Tim Scomo, the owner of KTNT, my boss, uh, who does Parental Revolution. And he was so gracious to give me the information, and and uh, my guest was so gracious to get hold of me and come on the show. Uh, she is host of the Men's Advocate Show, and she's an author, and she's out in California. Her uh, radio show, uh, Men's Advocate Show, can be hear, heard on uh, LA's Inland Empire on KMET, KMET, 1490 AM, out in California, out in Burbank, 
and uh, proving once again, folks, the meat and potatoes show, folks, is nationwide. I mean, this this is purposeful. We do this on purpose. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest, Linda Gross. Linda, thank you so much for taking this time out. My honor and my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity, Christopher. And I, I was looking at your stuff uh, that your show is on Wednesday afternoon, late Wednesday afternoon. Uh, it's specific time, uh, 3 to 4 p.m., so that's your time out there. But it's 6 p.m. Uh, here on the East Coast. So podcast-wise, you your show like quite literally ended before you even got on my show. That's right. <laughs> That's absolutely right. So let's talk about you. Let's talk about your show and introduce your book and uh, tell us about the Men's Advocate Show. Very good. Uh, yeah, so the Men's Advocate Show, we only discuss men's, uh, men-centric topics. So we're talking about the usual topics, uh, sex, dating, relationships, oh, right. marriage, see, see breakups, that, all that kind of stuff. That, but we go far up. beyond just that we're talking about any and all male interests so we're talking about dynamite and blowing things up and yes. cars and bourbon and whiskey and and uh, guns and anything men's health uh, men starting businesses business issues uh, all kinds of things so anything a guy would like that's what we talk about I love I love how she opens up her list and, and she starts it off with sex yeah yeah <laughs> There you go. Well, that's at hey, the top of most hey, guys' hey, lists, hey, right? Right, right. <laughs> you, you, you know what, though, Linda? Um, uh, that's that's funny. I, I say that tongue-in-cheek, and, and actually it segues into my very first question for you, is that is that for the past, I, I'm going to say a generation, 20 years, plus or minus, maybe more, uh, that there has been... We talk about the war on women. I mean, that's what the left does, and we know that that doesn't exist. And But what we do see and what we do know and what we have documented history of is actually a war on boys, boys in school, and boys being just... And I don't mean the the bad stuff that boys... You know, that old saying, well, boys are boys... That's the bad. That's the bad side. I'm talking about boys just letting them be boys. Yeah, let them play guns in the woods. Oh wow, you killed a frog. Oh kill. Oh, you did this. Oh, all right. All right. Well, we got to get in trouble for that. But that's what boys do. Boys are supposed to be boys. And there's been a war over the past generation or so to combat that. This is why we have the snowflake millennials that we have today. Linda, take it from here. Absolutely. It's not just the boys, though. It goes all the way through male adulthood. So, you know, with the with the male adults, they're attacking you by parental alienation and keeping you from your kids and the stress of all that. Uh, so it's it's not just one area. It's they, they want to neuter the male species. I mean, they want to feminize you and dehumanize you. And the reason for all this is because of the globalist, uh, the 20 guys. I call them my 20 guys who rule the world. Um, these are primarily guys who are the, the heads of multinational corporations. And they have an agenda, and their agenda is to make a lot of money at your expense. So, you know, oftentimes their ways are very crooked and very underhanded and deceitful, and they don't want 
true virile men. So they're doing things um, to dehumanize you. So if you start with a little boy, him running around, that's not acceptable to a female teacher. And, and there's a large population, large, large percentage of teachers who are female that doesn't work for them. They want you to sit down, be quiet, be like right, a little girl right. and read your book. Well, guys aren't like that. You know, Boys, they yeah. have a lot of energy and they want sure. to run around. So sure. one way to combat, combat this is to give you Ritalin, you know, is but, to give you yes. drugs to make you slower and to calm you down as a young man. As you get older, you know, this, this process doesn't cease. Um, there are all kinds of products. Um, that induce uh, chemicals and pesticides and hormones, hormone disruptors. Primarily, they want to disrupt testosterone because that is your testosterone. Not only does it control your sex drive, but it also controls your aggression factor. Sure, sure. So they let, don't want let that. Me stop, you know, let me stop you there. Be. They let want me, you, hang you on. know, laid back and and not feral. Let me let me stop you there. And folks, uh, Linda makes a great point because the majority of SSRI drugs, and uh, it's it's rampant now in our uh, not only high schools but uh, grammar schools, and now it's rampant all the way through all three grades of school. SSRI drugs are rampant. They are primarily. This is a fact. You can take it to the bank. Primarily given to boys. Linda, continue. Absolutely. So anyway, there's, you know, men have to be on the lookout for their own health and well-being. Um, not only is it a physical well-being, something as simple that you would never think of, like using liquid soap. Even that has hormone disrupt disruptors in it. Sure. So, you know, you have to be your own advocate um, and the counter to something like that would be to go to your farmer's market where you know the person and they're making soap in their garage and they're not adding any extra Here we chemicals go again. to Here it. We, here we go so, again. Linda makes another great point. This is absolutely true. And I just found out, I didn't know this all these years, all this stuff that I do. You'd think I'd know this. No, I didn't until about a week ago. That all okay. these air fresheners that are out there, they're yep. all hormone disruptors. That's why it yep. smells fresh. Oh, well, it smells fresh in there. Yeah, because your hormones are being disrupted. You're supposed right. to smell this stuff. This stuff is millions of years old of instinct that has been through evolution in, into, into who we are. So you go into a house and it smells nice. Yeah, your hormones are being disrupted. There you go. Right. You're right. And it's in our food and we're feeding it to the kids. And the kids are being given uh, SSRI drugs. And then you have right. this whole other thing where they're inoculating kids in school. I, I mean, it, it's not you, the parent, taking your child to the doctor. You send your kids to school. Somebody's probably probing them and sticking stuff in their arm. And you don't even know that. Well, I don't know if it's gone that far, but... You know, absolutely with regard to the uh, inoculations, uh, it, it absolutely, they put chemicals in there and, and uh, items that absolutely should not be <laughs> in, those, uh, in those shots. I mean, things like rat poisoning and all kinds of carcinogens they put uh, in those uh, shots. They, they, you know, not only uh, the school-age children, but later when you're an adult, they put in uh, the so-called flu shot. 
Don't ever get a flu shot. I read the white paper once about I've 20 years done. ago on what's in a flu shot. Uh, I, I couldn't sleep for three days. Yeah, I, I've I never, mean, it's, I've it's never had one. I've never had one, and I had the flu in 14. I was sick. Mm-hmm. I had the flu. I knew I had the flu. And, yeah. Uh, but it was like, yeah, I got the flu. But you know what? I I eat right. I work all the time. I'm a healthy guy. I'm an outdoorsman, so I'm exposed to stuff out there in my contracting business. So, yes. you know, my body over, you know, 50 plus years has, uh, it's like, ah, oh, ah, you got the flu. Take a rest for a couple of days. Ah, go back to work on Monday. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So we have to be our own advocates. Um, watch what watch what you read. I mean, we've learned this during this election. Uh, you know, watch what you read and hear and see because a lot of it is promoted by these globalists. They have their agenda and that's it. And they make it seem like everybody thinks this way and everybody is doing whatever it is that they're touting that they're doing. But that certainly is not the case. It's just more more mental brainwashing. It really, it really is. Let's move on. Let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about your show again. Uh, let's let's get. Uh, how'd you start this? Uh, give us a little. Give us a little background on on uh, the men men's advocate show. Very good. Uh, well, I started it way back when. I started it with a column. I wrote a daily blog Monday through Friday. Um, I had just gotten out of a long-term divorce and just therapeutic for myself. I just started writing. And after a soon amount of time, uh, the blog got very popular and people kept saying, oh, my goodness, this is really, these are gems that you're giving out here. You should put this together in some kind of format and make a book out of it. So sure enough, that's what I did. I, I uh, combined my academic research. I do have a background uh, in psychology from UCLA. I combined that as well as um, I interviewed tons of men, uh, the typical man on the street, so to speak, 20,000 men to write the book. So I married the two things. Originally, I had just written the book on my own based on my my research, and I got to the sixth or seventh chapter, and I ended up throwing in the trash. I'm like, you know what? No one wants to hear me stand on a soapbox talking about this stuff. So I would rather find out what the average guy on the street wants to know and hear, what are his problems, what are his roadblocks, what is he facing, and let me uh, let me structure the book where it's addressing what the average guy today wants. So that's why I interviewed the 20,000 guys to figure out what were their concerns. So, so what did you find out? What did you find out? Well, you know, the age-old question, I think probably uh, Freud probably asked this question originally, is it nature or is it nurture? And for so many, for at least over a generation now, we've all been saying uh, it's nurture, nurture, nurture. Nurture means your environment and how you were raised. But what I came to find out, you know, when, when I was doing all my research, 
my men were asking me, well, Linda, how can you write a one-size-fits-all book? Aren't women so complicated? Isn't every woman different? <clears throat> you know, how can you write one-size-fits-all? <clears throat> so the, the, the answer to that question was I took my research back to 10,000 years ago. I wanted to find out, well, how did the caveman do it? I'm sure women and... were complicated back then, too. <laughs> so, so um, no, anyway. No, I said what elk. I, what, what, I said what I elk. Found... Not deer. What? I said elk, but I get deer. No, I yeah. said elk, but I get deer. <laughs> That's so not what on I... dinner tonight. <laughs> That's right. So what I found out was, not that much has changed in 10,000 years. So it led me to believe that most of what we do, most of our behavior is all pre-programmed. It's all biology and it's DNA. And the reason why it's DNA is because Mother Nature wants to ensure the continuance of the species. Sure. So she has to make our mechanisms fail safe. Meaning that no matter what hits the news, what the latest march is, whatever, our inherent DNA is telling us to do certain right. uh, procedures and behaviors. Let me for stop a man, you there. Let me for a man. Let me stop you there. Yes. Is this part of why the left is constantly trying to social engineer? Because even they themselves, and you just said it, that this is nature. This is, well... I'm going to say the word God. This is planned. This is, all right, there you go. There's a script. That's how it's supposed to be. Linda right. just said it. Okay. Right. But this is what leftists do, is, is that they try to social engineer. Oh, no, no, no. Because we believe God doesn't exist, we can social engineer this, that, the other thing. But even, don't even they themselves have a sort of God complex that, oh, no, I'm better than that. We can engineer this better. Well, they follow their own God, let's put it that way. Yep. <laughs> it's not a, the friendly God that you and I know. They follow, uh, you know, God's other half, I guess. But you know, they God, have very but, devilish ways, but, very but, deceitful, but is is, is deceitful social, ways. What you and I were talking about, about the Warren boys and everything, this is part of the social engineering that has been going right. on uh, well over a generation. Yes, Yes, they are trying to social engineer and brainwash everybody. Now, the beauty of the human spirit is, unlike all the other animals on Earth, the other animals run on what I call animal instinct. Again, the DNA and the biology. Right. And so do we. 95% of the time, if we don't put any extra thought into it, we are just doing what we are naturally attracted to and naturally inherently it's, want to right. do it's okay 95 percent right. of the time humans are using their animal brain right but we have the ability to override our dna where the other animals don't we have what i call um cognitive ability that you can you can take a look at oh here's my natural animal instinct but you know what this isn't serving me or tonight I don't want to do it that way you can override it but most people don't go there because that takes a lot of effort to override whatever our animal processes are even even a threat situation I mean you can look at a threat situation and uh, your automatic limbic system kicks in that instinctual you know that primal brain kicks in. And, and, yeah. but, that, but then your cognitive is telling you, yeah, step back a few yards and, you know, take a break 
And then you do, you look, and it's like, okay, now I know what I have to do here. That's your cognitive kicking right. into gear. So, right. And you're, and you're right. You know, everything that we do in our day is really, it's funny that you just said that because I'm, I'm doing a quick, you know, uh, you know, Rolodex here in my brain of all the stuff I do during the day. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, 90% of it is instinctive. Driving a car, got to watch out, got to pay attention, got to do this. I'm on a job, got to be careful of myself, watch out for sharp things. You know, you are. Your you're 90% of the day is, yeah, I'm just operating on, uh, operating on my animal instinct. When you interact with people, and you talk, and you do things, and you plan things, and you make things, maybe even destroy things. Yeah, that's your cognitive working there. Go ahead. Right. I, I don't know if you saw the movie uh, Sully or, yeah. or followed oh, the oh, story yeah, yeah, in the I newspapers. I just saw that. But that, that absolutely was cognitive thinking. In other words, the control tower kept saying, okay, we, we need to divert you and you need to go to this airport over here. Not the intended airport, but we're going to take you because he was in, you know, emergency situation. He was in distress. We're going to, I think the closest airport, I don't know, to where he was, was New Jersey or wherever yeah. it was. Yeah. Right. Anyway, his car, he had to override that because he had six people in his headset saying, we need you to go to this other a- airport, but he knew he didn't have that kind of time and he wasn't going to make it doing it their way. Right. And so he had to overrule all that, and he says no one has landed on water like this before, let alone a big waterway like New York City, um, but that's going to get us to safety, and sure enough, he rescued 216 passengers. He didn't lose you know, any one of them. Doing it his way. But that takes cognitive ability that all those years of math and science that he took in order to be a pilot, blah, 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 that probably flashed in his brain. He had 40 seconds to figure this out, to overrule what the natural instinct to do was and what all pilots are trained to do for a a particular emergency landing. He didn't do it that way. Here we go again. I got to stop Linda there. And she's absolutely 100% correct because I saw the movie. And one of the things that pointed out in the movie was he gave that, Linda just said it, 30 seconds, 40 seconds. What they did is they kept doing these simulations, that cognitive thing. They kept doing the simulations. Oh, you could have landed. You could have landed. But he came up with the idea. And the reason why he didn't come up with it originally was because It's what Linda's saying. This stuff comes to us naturally. So we don't think about it after the fact. But I'll get to the point here. So there's that 30, 40 seconds. And he finally came up with the idea. It's like, let's rerun the simulation with that 30 to 40 seconds where I have to figure out, excuse my French, what the fuck am I going to do here? (laughs) What am I going to do here? Okay? That takes 30, 40 seconds. Okay? They reran the simulations. Guess what? Every time that he was designated to another airport, he crashed and everyone died. So what Linda's saying about the cognitive thing, while it worked in Sully's brain and it worked in the flight controller's brain, in the end, when it all came down to brass tacks, folks, Sully went with his limbic. He was like, I'm going to fucking crash. This ain't going to work. This, I got to do something here. 
I have to say, not only himself and his co-pilot, it's like, I got what, 200, 300 people in, behind me? He went to his limbic, he's like, and he did. He just went for the, the best idea that he could come up with, and it was absolutely amazing. And this is why, also, I believe that there's a God. It's like, yes. Even God was like, yes, Sully. Yeah, do that. Yep, trust your limbic. Trust your instinct. Trust your gut, what's going on there. Linda makes a very good point there. Take it from here, kiddo. Thank you so much. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he didn't come back a hero the next day. You know, on top of all that, on top of saving all these lives, he had to then go to FAA court or whatever it's called and get under, uh, investi- get, you know, investigated for his actions because he wasn't following what the control tower was telling him. Yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the day, after several months of, you know, everybody's expert witness and this, that, and the other and simulations, they finally did determine that out of all those intelligent minds, guess what? Sully was right. Sully we were was wrong. Right on that. Sully right. made that decision in yeah. 40 seconds. It took, you know, a half a dozen people like four months to like figure all that out. You, you know what? I have the belief of when you're talking to an Air Force combat pilot, okay, who, you know, and now I'm fl- flying a luxury liner. It's like, you know what? Leave the guy alone. I, th- I think he knows what he's doing. <laughs> he, <laughs> even if we are going to crash, it's like, oh, we're going to crash? Well, who's on board? Oh, Sully. Oh, all right. Give me another beer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, seriously, seriously. So, yeah. so uh, the Men's Advocate Show is growing as well as all these other shows. Do you find that there is... This amazing groundswell out there of not only just uh, men who are alienated from their children, but then there's also the other side. Women are also. I just had an anonymous caller last night on last night's show told a horrible story. Uh, and, and even though your show is called The Men's Advocate Show, you must have to cover. All of this stuff that is going on with parental alienation, it's on both sides. And isn't this probably one of the most egregious evil things that you, as an author and radio host, uh, has ever seen before, uh, ever? It's horrible. I mean, the one reason why I get involved in this is I really, really hate injustice. So if I have to go to the state capitol and, you know... Right, you know, you know, uh, talk to my Congress people to get them on board with changing our laws. Then that's what I do. In fact, I did give a, a speech uh, last summer at the state capitol, and I'm currently in uh, contact with uh, several of my different congressmen uh, and women here in uh, California because this law needs to change. Um, it does affect men, unfortunately, disproportionately more than it does sure. uh, the alienated mom. I would say probably it's like 90-10. But you're right. It, it's affecting both sexes now as well. And the reason, again, I have to point the finger is um, a nuclear family is very strong. So if the people you know up at the top, they don't want you strong. They don't want you nu- 
nuclear. They want you to um, be uh, splintered because a splintered family is weak. And one way to weaken a man's psyche is to take his kids away from him, especially if it's without cause, meaning, you know, there are laws in place for a cause, meaning that there was abuse, child abuse or spousal abuse, or there was drugs or alcohol involved. You know, absolutely. Those laws are in place and they should be in place. But barring that, we're not talking about those men. We're talking about upstanding citizens. They have good jobs. They have clean records. They're not in jail. They want to see their kids. They were they were a good, loving father when the kids were in the house. And now that he is um, divorced from the mom, all of a sudden the tables are turned and he has no rights. Well, do you um, think you know with all with all the other courts in our, in this land, um, you are innocent until proven guilty, with the exception Except. of family court, family, right. which you are assumed to be guilty without any evidence. Well, of course. Why would you be in family court unless you weren't accused of something? <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, do you do you equate this? Uh, this this alienation and this work that's going on in family courts do you uh do you uh do you see this as part of the violence against women act in uh the 90s passed under bill clinton all of these roads are eventually related yes if you follow the path long enough you end up with the same 20 guys yes they're all related and we'll get to that. That's pick good. pick any any um, fact in history, and it's all related. I mean, you want to take the JFK killing, you want to take nine eleven, you, anything you want to take. If you dig deep enough, it all all roads lead to the same path. Certainly, certainly. But what I'm talking about is what happens on the local level in the individual Burbank Burbank District Court. Or, or yeah. wherever the district court is there, uh, there's a family court division, and I'm sure this yeah. family's getting ramrodded left and right in that court. Right. And and no one cares. It's like, yep, the the gavel goes down. It's like, yep, next. Gavel goes down, right. next. Pay $250, next. Nope, you don't get to see your kids. Gavel, next. And it's like, oh, you passed a motion. Nope, not reading it. See, this is right. the thing. This is what I'm talking about. On the local level. Yes, you and I can talk all day about the 20 guys. I know exactly what you are talking about. I've done many interviews and shows on that one, too. Um, But we're talking the local level here. This is my question here. It's like, what about these idiots? How do we get rid of these idiots? Well, I think there's a danger there. I know when I was doing my speech at the state capitol and there were a lot of participants, there were a lot of uh, dads who, and, and moms too for that matter, who were alienated parents. And they are very click, quick to um, blame and point the finger at the next person in line, meaning corrupt judges, corrupt. it must be the corrupt lawyers, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, you're barking up the wrong tree. It is not them. They are they are employees just like you are an employee. Sure. They are being told what to do just I like see. your boss tells you what to do. You're not you're not making a dent in the right place. You need to take it um, to a higher level. So the 
the laws need to be changed on a federal level. And in order to change them on a federal level, you have to go to your state legislator because that's where our individual uh, representatives and congresspeople are who then go to Washington. So it's not corrupt lawyers and and uh that's another smokescreen it's not them it's not the judges it's the federal laws like if you were to pull up the social security act and look under title four again that's another uh piece of information that's going to make you lose sleep for a week when you find out why and how the money gets funded from the feds to the states when they break up families it, it will just disgust you to no end to where you will now have the right information to act on yep well we covered that uh linda schaefer out in georgia she's dead now um talked multiple times about that and a certain presidential candidate just uh several months ago was so (laughs) proud of announcing at her campaign rallies how she made Title IV adoption, so much easier for parents. And she wonders why she lost. There you go. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. this is so true. It is bigger. This is why I brought up uh, the Violence Against Women Act. It, it, it started there. Probably, well, progressivism, feminism. Yeah, pick your poison, you know, throw a dart on the wall and... Okay, what name did you hit? Um, yeah. You know, pick it over the last 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And uh, this is this is why we are where we are right now. It's, it, it, and it is. You, you're right about, listen, I went through a divorce, struggled for custody of mine, and um, I was uh, lucky. I was lucky because uh, my ex uh, was like, oh, I want to start dating guys. So can you take... Sure. Well, uh, it's Thursday night. Sorry to call you so late. Do you think... Sure, I can take him. Not a problem. Hey, I'm going out on Saturday. Can you... Sure, not a problem. After a while, it was like, well, just keep him for the week. And then another month would go by. Well, just... just Is he fine? Yeah, he's fine. Yeah, yeah, uh, yep. Yeah, I've enrolled him in school. Yep, okay. And then after a while, it was like, I just filed for custody. Because here's the thing, folks. My brother, who's long gone, went through about three divorces. Yeah, talk about a guy who, even I said, it's like, dude, stop. Stop. No, he didn't listen. But he had great advice to give me when I went through my divorce. He said... Wait, stop Stop meaning stop getting married, or what are you stopping? No, no, no. I, I told him, stop. Stop getting involved. Stop getting married. Stop getting involved. <laughs> stop having kids. Yeah. So, but okay. he gave me some advice when I went through my divorce. And yeah. I was flipped out about, yeah, she just packed up and took the kid. And it's like, yeah, she's pulling all the shenanigans. Well, you can see him on Sunday for two hours. I was like, no. The answer is no. My brother gave me this great advice. And he said to me, he said, relax, work a second job, pay a lo- for the money to pay a lawyer, which I did, and just sit back and wait. 
she'll start dating another guy. And I was like, what? I was like, yeah, he's like, eh. I'm going to say it. Yeah, she'll start fucking some other guy. Don't worry about it. And then she'll be calling you every other day. Hey, can you take the kid? Hey, can you take the kid? And you know what you say? And I turned to him and I said, what? And he says, yup, just say yup. I'll be there to pick him up. Sure enough, that's exactly what I did. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. After about a year. You got so lucky. You got a get out of jail free card on that you know? one. You and really got it. lucky. It's like, oh, you seeing your boyfriend tonight? I'll be right there to pick up my son. <laughs> Have a good time. Do you need any yeah. money? <laughs> <laughs> Here, I'll pay for the date. Just give me the kid. <laughs> That's it. That's, That's it. funny. Anyway, I'm sorry. I digress. I, I, I get a little verbose on my show, but it is internet radio. So, see, you're on, you're on AM, so you have to be very yes. professional. So, I'm on broadcast radio, so I have to apply to the uh, George Carlin, you can't say these seven words. <laughs> All right, so what's up for you? What's uh, what's coming on your show uh, next Wednesday? What's uh, give, give give us a little more insight there? Oh, I have a little. I have a lot of people in the hopper. I don't have a confirmed person for next week, but you know, one of the things that's coming up soon is um, Second Amendment and and guns, of course. Um, I had uh, these experts on, the California experts on, about a year ago, and it's time for them to come back because now is the time that they do all their conventions and their lobbying and whatever. So that'll be on the slate um, coming up soon. I don't know if it'll be this Wednesday, but, but soon. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Linda, I want to thank you so much. It has been absolutely an amazing pleasure. we got to have you back on again. Um, anytime. Yeah, oh, anytime. Here's the thing about my show. Open invitation. Even if you have something going on, send me a, a Facebook, a message, an email or something. Say, hey, Chris, and this, that, the other thing. And, and it's like, yeah, come on next week. And, you know, we'll connect and it's like we'll talk even if it's only for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Talk about Linda and what she's doing next week and this, that. I, to, I, I seriously mean that. I do this all the time. Open invitation. Because this is the great thing about internet radio. See, you're on real radio, so I'm jealous here. But we in the internet, you know, crew, we need guests. So come on. Yeah. Come on. Love that sounds great by me. I'll definitely uh, keep that door open and, and, and do that. I, I appreciate that. Finish the end of your story. How is it? How is the custody situation now with your son? Uh, they're all grown and they're in their 20s. Wow. Okay, so this happened so, and some time I got ago, one son several who's, years ago. who's going to college and another one who is uh, working in... Uh, he's, he's working. He's in a management position. And I've got a mm -hmm. daughter who has managed to uh, finish school in her junior year ahead of her seniors. So, and that's in my current relationship. Um, and it's, it's just great. And uh, this is the other thing, too, um, that uh, my significant other now um, has, she and I have been together 20 years. And it's been absolutely, it's been a rough ride. It's been a wonderful ride. And she is my angel and my my anchor. And, and like I said, we've got a 17-year-old who looks like she's going to graduate a little bit early. 
if she keeps going, keep going over there, Amy. Come on. You know, but, you know, it's like everything else in life. You know, it's like everything else in life. It, it, you know, you go through this catharsis. You, you go through this crucible. And you wonder, you know, at the time... It does. It seems like it is going to be the worst thing ever. And some of the men who are separated from their children, it seems like the worst thing ever, and it is the worst thing ever. But one of the things I've said on several of my interviews related to this topic is you have the luxury of time. And what I mean by that is at some point in time, that alienated child from that alienated parent mm-hmm. is going to become 18 one day. And what I've always said is that the alienated parent, you know what? Work those two jobs. Put money away in a bank in that child's name. Set up a trust fund, maybe for college, something, anything. Always write to them. Always pay attention to them. Cut out, cut out the articles in the newspaper when they hit that home run at the softball game. Cut out that newspaper. Get, get as much as you can. And then when that child is 18 and they come to you and they say to you, Gee, Dad, why weren't you there? Mom said you were this and that and, and why weren't you there? I'm here to... I'm here. That angry child will come to you. Then you calmly say, this is here. You hand them this. Now, I know it seems like a material thing. It's very important, though. Because what it says is that you were paying attention. I was not allowed to be there. But I always paid attention. And I did this for you. And now that you're 18, sit down. Here, here's a beer. Hang out. For a minute, I'll tell you my end of the story. Because that's the thing that that alienated child is missing. They're missing the other person's side of the story. Because they're alienated from them. Absolutely, and, and I fully agree with you. I did have a parent who did that. He was issued a restraining order. He could not talk to the child or the ex or the soccer coach, but... As long as he kept his distance, he had to be X amount of feet away from where the child was. And he came to every single game, and he took pictures, you know, for st- maintaining that distance to kind of prove, you know, the pictures had a time stamp on them, to prove that he was there each and every week. And sooner or later, after a couple of weeks, the child figured out, oh, by the way, Dad's over there in the far side of the stands, but Dad is there. And kids are infinitely intelligent. They know after a while, you know, the mom can brainwash them all they want, but after a while, they really understand and know on a gut level that, hey, my dad does want me, and maybe what I'm being told isn't necessarily 100% true. And like you say, worse comes to worse, you know, they turn 18, and then the child can do whatever they want. So they're going to come look for you. And this is yeah. this is this is why I said what I said a moment ago. It's like have your have it ready. You yeah. know, if if you want to be that father, have it ready. 
if you're alienated, guess what? You've got nothing. You got nothing. You've lost. Boom. You're you're done. You're gone. You're out of the picture. What do you have left? Nothing. So what do you do with that? You say, you know what? I'm going to do what little I can. What little I can. And over the next 8, 10, however old that child is when you were alienated, when they turn 18, they will come looking for you. They will come do that. Maybe not 18, maybe 20, maybe after, whatever. They'll come looking for you. And at that point in time, you say, sit down, have a beer. Here, I've done this over all of these years. I've been waiting for this day. You know, it's kind of like when an adoptive child finally meets their mother, their real birth mother. You've seen all those stories. I'm saying apply the same precept to alienated children finally going back to that alienated parent and saying, what's going on here? What's going on here? You know, it's interesting that you said uh, about the love of a father and uh, not uh, having that love. In my childhood, my father just got up and walked out. I was nine years old. And it was a very difficult time that first year. And my both my parents are gone now. My father who walked out, and my mother who was an absolute saint from heaven. Um, and I'm not just saying that as a mama's boy. No, you know, yeah, I'm 53. She's been gone a number of years, and I've been moved away an even more number of years. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to look back and look at my mother and look at her history of that time when my father split. And you got to understand that I was the last of six children. I was the last one left in the home. And that's when my dad split, and I was 10. And this is back in the early 70s. And this was not the time where you have all this snap and snip and swick and welfare and, you know, any check out of the sky coming from the government at your house. Yeah. You didn't have that back then. Mm-hmm. So I see my mother as a saint. And here's the thing. You realize, and after my parents died, I realized that my mother loved me. She was the parent that was there. She <laughs> She might have, believe me, there were plenty of times where, yeah, she beat my ass, and there are probably some times where it's like, I'm going to fucking kill you, because I was that kind of kid, but my mother loved me. My mother loved me. My father left. My father abandoned us. My father didn't love me. That's a key thing here, when you have an alienated parent is that you must understand that that other parent, because they're fighting, because they're spending all this money, because they're being thrown in jail, it's not because they're crazy, not because they're they're, they're challenging the government. No, it's it's because they love their children. See, I didn't have that. Mm -hmm. My father just packed up the car and fucking drove away. And that was it. And that was it. My father didn't love me. These fathers that are fighting for this, 
love their children. And this is a very important this thing. This brings me back to what I said a moment ago about, yeah, put this stuff together. Put some money away. You know, clip out the pictures in the paper. That kind of thing. Put it together so that when that child comes back, see, I'll never have that. My father's dead now. He never. I never saw him again. That was it. Bye. That was wow. It. That was it. Even I never saw years him later, you never saw him. Never, never again. Never again. That was wow. It. That was it. How sad is so that? The, wow. Well, listen, listen. I'm not sitting here crying in my beer. I'm trying to be uh, analogous about this. I'm trying to bring an analogy here, bringing me back to what I said about the alienated parents. Do something. Do do this. Do this stuff so when your kid comes back. They can have that awakening. They can be saved. They can, they, they can, at 18, 19, 26, whenever they finally meet you, they can have that moment where they burst into tears and they say, my father loved me because he did this. Because I never had that. And this is why I, this is why I proposed this idea. To do this so that you have that saving grace. Not only as a father, but to the child. Sorry, Linda. Go ahead. Well, you know, your relationship with your dad, you know, everything happens for a reason. And as much pain as there was with that, it really shaped who you became. And you broke the cycle and you were a different dad to your child, to your children. So... I you know, my kid today on the phone. Yeah, yeah, he's in college. Right? And, I mean, and, so yeah. that... that episode that that experience shaped who you are today that you didn't want to be like that and you made a decision to be a different type of parent and here's a, good here's for a, you well here's the be you know i wasn't the greatest father i i, I kind of was a stern discipline didn't beat my kids didn't hurt my kids didn't do anything but i was i was kind of like very strict it it's just the way i am i was i was strict about the way things were in the house but i was always there always there Anything that had to happen, made sure it happened. Had to work the extra job, worked the extra job, made the money, did what I had to do. I was always there. Even when my first wife and I split up and all that was going on, it was like, you can see him every other Sunday for a couple hours. I was like, no, 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 no. You know what? I was a, Because of what I just said, I was abandoned as a child. No, mm -hmm. no, 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 sorry. It, it was like a guillotine on that cycle of violence thing. It's a guillotine. Shoo. No, head cut off. We are not doing that. It <laughs> ends here. It ends here. I will see my son when I want, how I want, where I want, and that is the end of the discussion. That's that's just how I was. I love that. I love that uh, conviction. I so, love it. So yeah, I mean, anyway. you were just so resolute because, again, because of your own personal experience, you didn't want to be the, the absent person, what? the absent parent. So, so good for you. So, the, so in your state, they didn't have you didn't have a formal custody uh, document. Uh, well, well, yeah. Well, this was ninety three, so it was the start of the whole Clintonista thing. So, <laughs> my wife my ex-wife at the time, 
was jumping on that bandwagon because I have a feeling she was being not only coached by her lawyer and um, but possibly by other family uh, that this uh, oh oh this is all going to change now you you can write your own ticket you can get them to pay child support all the time and you don't have to do anything and you can go on this program and that program and you can oh and, and she, believe it or not I hate to say it I'm not giving names to this day to this day my kids are all grown I've long forgotten about her last I heard she's still on government programs but that's just that was like her thing mm-hmm. and that was it and I was like no if you want to here's the thing never beat her never hit her never hated her never did nothing I was like love you hold caress kiss the whole nine yards everything all the time tried to remember everything I was supposed to do I, I just tried to do the best I could I work all the time throw the money into the bank account get shit done I was doing what I was doing the man what you said on your man's advocate show just guys just I'm being a guy I gotta do the guy thing I you know mm-hmm. so and then one day I come home from work and it's like I'm like all right what the fuck happened Seriously, it looked like that scene out of The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, you know, where the coat wires are hanging on the wall, and, you know, it's like the, it's the bobble from the, the tree rolling across the floor, that empty yeah. room. I was like, what the fuck? What? I was like, I thought I was robbed. I was like, what the? Hello? And I got hold of her, and she's like, I moved out. And it, it, that was it. And so here's the thing. It's like, bringing me back to my brother who's gave me that advice I told you about earlier. Mm-hmm. It's like, so why do I have to pay all this stuff? Why do I have to pay all this child support? Why do I have to take... Why Why do I have to pay for the... Lo- she's, she's the one that walked out. She's the one, as a contractor, you're the one that initiated the contract. You walked out. You took all the shit with you. You walked out. You initiated the contract. Why do I have to pay for the divorce? You're the one that wants out. You fucking pay for it. <laughs> yeah. See where I'm going here, Linda? I do. <clears throat> Take it. The laws are not fair. They made sense back in the 50s and the 60s because back in those days, women weren't working and a lot of times, you know, the guy would, she would put in, you know, 20, 30 years of her best years, quote unquote, and, and the guy would finally, you know, make something out of himself and have prominence in, in his uh, community as well as with his paycheck. And then he would walk out and go, you know, hook up with the secretary. So that happened quite frequently. And she was left out in the cold. She didn't have, you know, job or an income or, or a way to support herself. So those laws made sense in the 50s and 60s as a as sort of a, a thank you and a way for her to sustain her life and a way for her to raise the kids and not be destitute and not be beholden to government programs. Now it's, uh, that's 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 when they made the spouse pay for everything. Now now it's, fa- now it's fa- abused. 
now, now it's fa- abuse. Now fa- exactly. Now fast forward to the early 70s came the widespread use of the pill, and it was the first time she could control her body. She could delay the pregnancy. She didn't have to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. And then she could go to work or travel or further her education or start a business or whatever she wanted to do. So now we have 70% of the women uh, in the workforce. So it's a whole different, you know, whole different scenario than what was happening when those laws were originally created. So now to get even with everybody... You know, in the 70s, the second wave of women's feminism, they decided to come up with a, a mantra. And it was a good mantra, I suppose, equal pay for equal work. But guess what? They couldn't solve that problem. Here we are 40 years later. They still can't solve the sure. problem. Yep. Because basically what they're doing is they're demanding the raise or the job or the promotion based on gender. Well, as a CEO... CEOs could care less about your gender. They could care less if you're red, blue, or polka dot. They want to know, are you affecting my bottom line? If you're improving my bottom line, you'll get the job or the promotion or the raise, and that's the end of that. There's nothing to discuss beyond that. But women don't seem to get that. They want all these uh, amenities without putting in the work. So anyway, in the 70s, they couldn't solve that problem. So then they decided to, well, let's just turn on all men, not just my husband, my ex-husband, but let's just turn on all men because all men are bad. And that's when it just started to go downhill and the degeneration um, and the devaluing of men started to occur after that point in time. Mm -hmm. Linda makes a great point earlier in uh, her dissertation there it, 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 about equal pay. You, you know what? If I'm serving on a front line and I have a female uh, combat uh, person next to me throwing lead down the field right next to mm-hmm. me, uh, she better be getting my pay grade. She better be getting mine. If I'm in yeah. a mine somewhere and I throw a shovel full of coal, and there's a woman operating that train, those those mini trains that they have in the coal mines, and I see it's yeah. a woman, she better be getting my pay grade. You see what I'm saying? But when and, com- she, and she is. You know, if you look at the statistics, if you compare the exact same job to the exact same job, in other words, a female pediatrician versus a male pediatrician, a female executive sure. secretary versus right. a male executive right. secretary, a female accountant versus a male accountant, if you compare compare the exact same job they are getting equal of pay course they but are. that's not what that's not what women are doing because that that doesn't make headlines what women are doing are taking all pay of all jobs and comparing that to what women get and what they don't fat and that's where they get the 77 cents on the dollar business because you're not comparing apples to apples you're comparing all jobs to what women are paid which is not a fair yes. assumption That's because they're not factoring in that, in general, men take more dangerous jobs, men are more at risk, men take jobs that require a higher level of education, 
Um, when it comes down to salary negotiations, men speak up for what they want and what their rights are. And, you know, they'll go ahead and say, I, I want a 12% raise. Here's what I did this past year. I got this project done. I got that project done under budget and ahead of schedule. And they'll show facts and figures as to why they think they deserve that raise. Right, right. Women don't do any of that. In fact, women don't even have the discussion at all. But they're expecting that same raise that this guy probably spent weeks, if not months, putting together sure. um, his speech with his boss as to why he deserves the raise and, and or promotion. And, women and, don't do that. Yeah, and you know okay, what? Okay, so it's and not. women take jobs be, that that are uh, less hours because they take more time off. They take time off to go to the doctor themselves. They take time off, which isn't their fault, to go take you know Johnny to his doctor. They take time off. Uh, they get off early because they're taking Johnny to soccer practice. You know, all these hours add up. So she might be working 30 hours a week. He's working 40 hours a week. So, again, you're not comparing apples to apples. So you can't compare all jobs to all jobs. It's just not fair but you know that's not going to make the newspaper tomorrow so they just you know bitch and moan and complain that why are we still making 77 cents on the dollar but they don't want to put in the work and here's the other like if they get all of these laws that have been passed to uh, help women along which is part of the problem of uh, hang on, I might have a caller. Hello, Christopher. All right, hang on, hang on. I'll call you back in five minutes. Yep. All right, sorry. Anyhow, yeah. um, I thought there was a caller on. Nope, that's another call for the next segment coming in. And this is something we got to do. Unfortunately, we got to we got to get out of this segment here because I got something else coming on here. Um, okay. So anyhow. Yeah, if Hillary was exposed, again, folks, this is why she didn't win. It's like it just kept, it, it was like a, a, a cornucopia of just crap coming out. Uh, I mean, even Hillary was caught paying her staffers, female staffers, you know, Seventy-seven cents on the dollar. It's like seriously. It's like I'm working at a campaign. You don't think I'm not working as hard as the guy over there? Uh, I'm out there popping up signs. I'm on the phone. I'm busting my ass. Seriously, and it seriously, and, and then it came out that as a fact. So it, it is. It's it's really really, yeah. Uh, to to talk about women not being paid as much it's like capital capitalism you know it, it, it's it's not an equal playing field i'm sorry folks i'm i'm sorry to pour the cold water on your campfire here millennials snowflakes mm -hmm. you know it's like it's, it's it is an uneven playing field but what makes it even is your determination as an individual not as a man not as a woman, not as transgender, I, you, he, she, it, we, they, whatever you want to call yourself. It's you getting out there, 
This is called America. This is called capitalism. And yes, I'm sorry. Linda might disagree with me. I'm sorry, it's still a man's world. And I don't mean a man's world from, yeah, we're men. No, it's a man's world, meaning, yeah, man up. It's a man's world. Man up. Pony up. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you are. Get the fuck out there and do something. Make something and create something. And make something of yourself. Linda, I want to thank you so much for calling on to the show tonight. Absolutely. Do you mind if I plug my show and my book real quick? You know, it's so funny. Can I just do my radio show for a moment here? (laughs) You know? Of course. Here we go. Here we go. Linda, Linda, please plug your show for my audience to hear. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Sorry, Christopher. Um, All right. So my show is on every Wednesday, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. You can go uh, hear the live version of the show. Go to KMET1490AM.com. You can listen uh, to the live stream from the website, or you can download the phone apps for iPhone and Android from the website. It'll have uh, click-throughs right there for you. Or if you can't listen live, we are on demand. You can listen to my whole library of shows if you'd like to. Go to Google, SoundCloud, The Men's Advocate. Google, SoundCloud, The Men's Advocate. And you can listen to the whole library. And then my book, of course, is called Mastering Women, The Real Truth About Women That Will Change Your Life Forever. It's got a five-star review on Amazon. You can get it in the ebook version as well as paperback, Mastering Women. Then call in in the next couple of weeks, talk about your book. We never never even got to that. But this is what an organic conversation, this is what is great about talk radio. It's just organic. And this is what's great about conservative radio. It's just... Here you go. This is it. Yeah, you know, we just had a wonderful conversation. Took over an hour. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, so let's get back. Let's get you back on. Talk about your book. We never talked about your damn book here. <laughs> oh, Linda, I'm all so right. sorry. I gotta I get to. I gotta, day. It's quite all right. I, I mean, gotta get to the I next you segment. You have a finite amount of time. All right, I got to get to the next segment, uh, ladies right. and gentlemen. K M E T fourteen ninety AM, the Men's Advocate Show. My good guest, Linda Gross. Thank you, thank you. God bless you. Thank you, Linda. Thank you, and you, Christopher. A pleasure. We'll do this again soon. Thank right. you. All right. Now, I got to make a phone call. Let's see if we can get this going. Somebody else is calling me. Holy crap. All right, I'm going to play a tune. I'm going to kill some time for a minute here. And uh, we'll get into the next guest, uh, Denise Mattel, who's going to call in. And uh, this is the Meat and Tender Show, Conservative Talk, Awesome Rock. I want to thank Linda so much. What an absolutely fantastic conversation. you know, so many years. It's just so great to talk to so many great people. Uh, the phone line is open at 774 470 774-420-0362. I'm going to do a tune, get this other person on the phone. 
I'll be back. Actually, no. Let's do this. Hang on a second. That experience for me left me so disgusted that I couldn't see how Planned Parenthood could ever redeem themselves after that. You were working at Planned Parenthood while there were several national undercover investigations going on of Planned Parenthood. Can you tell me more about what that was like? I just blew it off. I thought, you know, this is ridiculous. We don't have anything to hide, so why are we so concerned about these undercover investigations? If you have nothing to hide, then you have nothing to fear, right? And so that was my attitude um, while managing my location. Of course, later on, uh, during my tenure, all of that would change. In the um, beginning of 2011, another undercover investigation came out exposing Planned Parenthood workers aiding and abetting underage sex trafficking. In the past week, Live Action has released undercover videos showing Planned Parenthood staffers all too eager to help purported teenage sex workers get abortions and contraception. Well, a New Jersey senator is today calling for a federal investigation into the group Planned Parenthood. An employee at Planned Parenthood clinic who agrees to cover up a child sex ring. Where have all the sex workers? All right, some of them are young, they're kind of like, some are like 15, 14. Minors are always accepted without parental consent. Okay. We never got this from me. This is to make all of our lives easier. Okay. They're 14 yeah. and under. Yeah. Just send them up there if they need an abortion. <laughs> okay. If it comes on that they do need an abortion, how long so they can actually have people get Ah, minimum two weeks. Minimum two weeks. Mm. Minimum two weeks. Do you, do you maybe have any suggestions about what else they could do? In 2011, live action investigators exposed eight Planned Parenthood clinic staffers at seven different facilities willing to aid and abet child sex traffickers. Planned Parenthood tried to defend themselves, claiming that the encounters with the sex traffickers had been properly reported to the authorities. They referenced a letter sent by Planned Parenthood President Cecile Richards to then Attorney General Eric Holder regarding visits to Planned Parenthood clinics by persons claiming to be engaged in the sex trafficking of minors. But there were several major problems with Planned Parenthood's letter. First, the letter failed to correctly identify all the states visited by the investigators posing as sex traffickers. Second, the letter claimed that Planned Parenthood staff members made it clear to the sex trafficker that they would comply with state laws and report suspected conduct that endangered minors. But through the Freedom of Information Act, live action contacted the state justice departments, police departments, and child protective services in the states listed in Planned Parenthood's letter, and only one of the five states visited by investigators, Arizona, had responsive records that any report had been made to authorities. Third, when the investigative footage was released, it was plain to see that the only thing staff members made clear to the sex traffickers was that they were more than willing to offer their assistance. Planned Parenthood Federation of America went out um, publicly saying that they would retrain all of their staff on how they reported abuse. And the training was to make sure that sex traffickers, sexual abuse cover-up was detected and reported. That's the that's, Was that the yes. way they communicated it to you? Okay. Yes, that's, that's the idea that we all had. That was our perception. And when we were called into this meeting, I um, went in really believing that Planned Parenthood could redeem themselves. They're going to prove that they really do care about women, and this is something that really concerns them. I walk into the room, it's dark, we, we sign in, and there's a projector screen pulled down, and they begin to play 
all of the previous undercover investigations that had been put out, you know, about Planned Parenthood. And I became very perplexed. I thought, you know, what's going on here? Are we showing these things because they're trying to show us um, what not to do? You know, the things that are wrong, that we don't do these, these things. And so I raised my hand and I said, I'm, I'm confused. Like, when are we going to um, actually begin the retraining? What can I do as a manager to take this information back to my staff and put and, uh, you know, enforce policies and procedures that would help protect uh, women who are experiencing um, either sex trafficking or abuse, sexual abuse in, in, any, in any way. Because that's a difficult subject to talk about if you ever have a patient come in who expresses that. Mm. And so I really wanted to know how we dealt with that. And she immediately, you know, shot me down and she said, we're not here to talk about that, Ramona. We are here to teach you how to identify if you're being videotaped or recorded or entrapped in any way. At that moment, my heart just sunk. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I couldn't believe that we were actually um, there to, to train on how to identify if we're being recorded. Uh, again, it goes back to why do, do we have something to hide? Why, why is this an issue for us? That experience for me left me so disgusted that I couldn't see how Planned Parenthood could ever redeem themselves after that. Here's a little Annie Lennox. The city streets are wet again with rain. Let's celebrate real women. But I'm walking just the same. Skies turn to the usual gray. When you turn to face the day. Oh, and the love don't show up in the pavement cracks. All my watercolors fade to black. I'm going nowhere and I'm ten steps back. All my dreams are falling flat. KTT Radio, the Beat Potato Show, Conservative Talk, Awesome Rock.
right. Linda, you there? There we are. Hang on two seconds. All right. Here we go. Talk about unprofessional radio. Well, yeah, you do this, folks. Yeah, you do it. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. You do it. Tell me how good you do. Ladies and gentlemen, the Meat and Potato Show, Conservative Talk and Awesome Rock. We're waiting uh, for this phone call. Um, we went a little over with our last guest. Had to do a, a break in here. And uh, so I got hold of my second guest, uh, who's been on the show before, uh, my good friend Denise Matau, who has uh, told the story about the unfortunate death of her daughter um, at Amherst uh, College, uh, UMass Amherst, and uh, some of the investigations that are going on there. And did she? Well, did I? I I think I lost you there. Just for a split second, but I'm here now. Well, there you are. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, Denise Matau. Who's calling in from uh, Corpus Christi uh, area in Texas? And again, proving once again, the Meat and Potato Show is Hello? nationwide. I'm here. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. There you go. There you go. So anyway, um, so I've been looking into some of the stuff you sent me, and I am getting zero feedback. Oh, I'm here. Um, I'm sorry. It's a little bit chancy. I don't know what's going on. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Okay. Um, so you're saying you've got little feedback. Are I'm, you talking about the... Hello? I am talking about... Uh, I tried to get hold of the uh, state trooper. Uh, absolutely nothing come back. Um, I would like to get hold of the psychiatrist, the psychologist uh, that you had told me about. Um, so I need that information. But so far, it's it's like anything else when you work on these things. And I just started it about a week or so ago. And uh, so, you know, that's just my initial but nothing. I mean, this is something that's going to take a, a while anyway. But what have you uh, uncovered on your end? Well, um, as I let you know... Um, I found out something that a lot of folks up there probably already knew about, which is that in 2014, there was another student who was declared a suicide. His name was Eric Sinicori. Um, and we're, and, and is, we're, ta we're talking out at U UMass Amherst College. Yes, yeah, same campus. And uh, if you Google Eric Sinacori, S-I-N-A-C-O-R-I, you will see a lot of stories. It was in the Boston Globe and some other papers. And what happened was they finally charged somebody with manslaughter. Interesting. Keep going. Um, the... The thing that I can say for absolute sure is the same in both cases, is that in both cases, the university lied to the parents and just, to the state police. Yeah, just like in your case, that's right. 
Hello? Just like in your case. Yes. That is the one thing that I can say for sure is common to both cases. I'm wondering why this exists over there. Uh, is it a cabal or is it that they just don't want bad press coverage? I think it's a combination. I think, I think that there's a, a mentality of uh, self-protection and also the um, culture up there uh, may involve what you call a cabal. I wonder why, though. You know, when it comes to a shooting of a UMass police officer uh, during the marathon bombing, uh, that was, of, of course, that was news and that was first and foremost. Uh, and, and, and you know what? I don't think your story is not alone. As I started looking into some of the background of this, and I mean, there's dozens of suicides and and mysterious deaths that go on at UMass. And it's not just UMass, it's colleges everywhere. I mean, you have masses of people interacting. Shit happens, unfortunately, is what 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 ends up happening. And it, and I don't mean to denigrate that. It's just that okay, so let's investigate this. Why what happened here? And it's got a, it's nothing to do with the college. Well, the press makes that. It's like, well, how good is security? How good is that? That's got nothing to do with it. When you have thousands of people in an area interacting with each other, ongoing every day, oh, for four years, because that's why you're there in college, right? Four years. Stuff's going to happen. And it's no denigration on the college. Just investigate it. Where the denigration comes is because you don't investigate it. Go ahead. Go ahead, Denise. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. So there's a certain amount of, of this is how they do things. They, they protect themselves. Um, but there's also, I do believe... <laughs> that the University of Massachusetts um, has uh, entanglement for probably decades, I mean, not probably, for sure, decades, with the drug counterculture to the point that their faculty and administration automatically close ranks around that culture. I got news for you. They don't want to challenge anything that might say your campus has evil people in it. I got news for you. All those college professors and administrators, they're on drugs too. Maybe not all of them, but, but, but trust me, they all grew up in that 60s counterculture, that whole 70s, 80s. Come on, come on. Hell, folks, yeah. you, you, you think I do this radio show sober? Come on, I did drugs. You, you don't even want to know the stuff I did back in my day. I'm a 53-year-old man. Come on. We all did this stuff back in the day. 
So it doesn't surprise me that if, if you went and you looked at these people, they're all on drugs. Or they've been on drugs. Come on. Please. Go ahead. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. But it's, it's like you, you can't just accept it as a status quo. Because when you have a police department for a university being willing to lie to the state police, that goes even beyond their, um, their lies to the parents. Because they are setting themselves outside of the most basic social order we have. Yeah, there's a certain, there's, there is a certain, uh, I'm going to use the word fiduciary, which applies to banks, but it applies a fiduciary, the word is, you know, a responsibility. There's a certain fiduciary uh, that exists with these administrators to look out for these kids. Uh, this is your job, right? Don't you have to maintain and look over everything and make sure everything's running the way it's supposed to run? Why is this stuff going on? What the hell's going on with you guys? Why aren't well, you paying attention to this? You remember who was the president of UMass a few years ago? Are you talking about um, Billy Bulger? His brother. Yeah, Billy Bulger. His brother was Whitey. Um, there were things going on at that time which were just, you know, they still go on. Um, the the uh, A lot of the drug culture, which is entangled with another culture, that is basically, uh, we're more conscious of it maybe down here on the border, human trafficking. Um, that's actually a big part of what goes on in the sense that students are seen as a commodity. They're a human commodity that the university uses for its own ends. Yeah. We know this. Yeah, this is true. This is a truism. I mean, the young 18-year-olds, sure, I can see that. I can, I can easily see that. And some of the stuff you've worked on is, um, you know, some of the, the cultists that exist out there. And because it's UMass and because it's Amherst, Mass, oh, yeah, this place is total lefty Fruit Loop land out there. Trust me, I live here in Mass. It is. It's total Fruit Loop land out, out there. And so for people to get involved in all this Fruit Loop-ism, sure, it's it's easy for them. It's easy. Go ahead, Denise. Well, you know, you, you brought up that word cult. Um, I think we touched on that last time when I spoke about that person who was stalking my daughter. And he was working for this anti-cult group. And that group um, has a, what you might call, they call it a clinic. It's a, it's a safe house where they put people when they grab them. And it's in Lakeville. Um, 
it was it was opened up by the Massachusetts Attorney General Scott Harshbarger, who's an interesting person, and that whole Democrat interest in promoting and controlling uh, groups, cultural groups, including cults, where people are are, are brought into a, a level of commitment and, you know, they're not aware of everything that's going on. But uh, it's, it, it's a very scary combination because UMass is central along with a lot of the other Ivy League schools. The big schools are really central to this kind of, as I say, it's a human trafficking form where they're not interested in being part of society where these young people are going to become the next generation of American society. They are interested in trading these young people off to their movements and their their ideological yep. campaigns. Yep, yep, yep. Let's let's look at what just happened. Denise makes an absolutely amazing point right there. Let's look at what just happened in D.C. with these people that went out oh, there. Oh gosh! Let's yes. let's look at the feminazis that marched on Saturday. All it's of that. Where where does this come from? It all comes from the colleges, and if you are not one of those people who wish to be part of it. Or, let's say, you were one of those people that were part of it. And then one day you're like, no, I want to do something else. I, no, I want to get out. It's going to be very bad for you. This is what happened to Denise's daughter. It's going to be very yeah. bad for you. And and it's it's not... If you watch what they did on television to the city streets. What makes you think? How far is that leap for you to think that if they weren't behind closed doors and somebody said, No, nah, I'm I'm out of here. I wanna I'm I'm done. I I wanna get out. Uh, I'm out of this. What makes you think that if they're ready to set things on fire and assault people in the streets, that if somebody was to say, no, I, I'm all done, how far is that leap to think that they That's wouldn't, that they wouldn't do daughter. something? That's why she was killed. That's who she said no to. Do you see what I'm saying here, folks? Do you see where I'm going here? Denise just answered, Denise just finished my sentence. Do you see where I'm going here? Go ahead, Denise. Take it from here. Yeah, now, were you bringing up the DC thing? Did you notice the pink ribbon presence? The pink uh, uh, ribbon? Well, you know, the, the that shade of pink and all the, the, the pink ribbons that for years have been identified with yeah, breast, breast cancer. cancer. Right, right, right. Well, I want to tell you something about that that is right up there in Boston, okay? And this, again, I'm going to have to send people to Google. Um, Google is my friend. <laughs> but 
When I lived in Boston, 1994-95 and thereabouts, um, I was working with a man in who was in law enforcement in animal control cases. He was, his specialty was law, uh, bringing charges against people for cruelty, a criminal level cruelty, and he was a state police captain. His name was Tom White. Yep. Google. Captain Tom White, he took material that I had brought from my work in the homeschool movement and I had been, people started giving me material because I had stood up to these people, these feminists in Pittsfield, they had had trashed my art studio and um, I had then moved to Boston and I had a studio on Newbury Street. And um, Captain White took my material because we came across a teacher training program that was aimed at legitimizing animal sacrifice. It was legitimizing primitive sacrificial religion. And he had the first, what they call a primary document that I was, a, a third grade teacher had given me was a required Massachusetts program. So he had the proof that Massachusetts was forcing teachers in case for free through this training. He in turn gave that document to Father Mitch Pacwa, a very famous Jesuit priest who was an expert witness in a family lawsuit in New York. Denazi de Barry v. Bedford. They were suing the school over putting their children through traumatizing experience. And he used that material to prove to the court that the school knew what it was doing, that it was not an accidental side effect. And when my last conversation with Captain White um, almost a uh, second to the last. He came back to my studio and he gave me the documents back, told me the case had gone well. He was working on a number of civil lawsuit cases that were adding up to laws. They were hoping to be able to present a uh, plan to be able to prosecute these things criminally. But at this point, it was still civil. So he gave me the... Then... That same week we spoke, I said, I had received a lesbian weekly newspaper. It's a regular newspaper in Boston. It was published under Bill Weld's administration as governor by the the friends and whatever, P-flag, G-flag people. And uh, they had an announcement that the Pink Ribbon Breast Cancer Charity was merging with two other charities, medical charities, a Franciscan group that has the chapel there in Copley Square or near, somewhere near Copley Square, there's a Franciscan-run church. And I used to go to Mass there. They had a Franciscan group and a gay AIDS group. So if you gave money to the Pink Ribbon Cancer people, oh, right. they could legally use it for AIDS 
and Franciscan charities right. that you didn't even know about. Sure, right, 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 right. And they could use it for political marches without being yep. prosecuted yep. because I saw the legal public announcement for the IRS and a, 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 a good researcher can find this in IRS paperwork now if you go looking and you know how to look in those databases. It was 1994 or 5, mid-90s, the merger happened and from that point on, the breast cancer movement became a politicized movement. Sure, right, right. Because let, it was, a, and after that, no, not let, long after hang on, that. Hang on, uh, Denise, hang on. Let me stop you yeah. there. See, okay. this is it. I was listening to Rush Limbaugh, and he had said this about the feminazi movement. It is not yeah. about rights. It's never been about rights. It is a politicized no, movement. And this is what Denise just said, that they had politicized the entire movement. And I got news for you. Denise is on the track. She's looking down that road. And I can, I'm going to help you along the road here. You look into the Tides Foundation. Look into the Tides Foundation. Look into George Soros. I guarantee you he's got his fucking fingerprint on that button right there. Wow, that's amazing that you said that. That's why I interrupted you. And and it reminded me, I'm working on my job, and I'm listening to Rush Limbaugh today, and they were talking about the feminazi movement on Saturday. And it was like, it, it, this thing, you, you know it was paid for. You know, and I'm doing my work, and it's like, yeah, of course we know that. And I do radio, so it's like, yeah, of course we know that. But it's like, it's like the rest of America doesn't get this it's it's so insane there and denise is it, it, she's spot on this go ahead denise well, sorry to interrupt you i was in the middle of it i was in the middle of it and when that happened and i told captain white about that he was changing his tactics at that time from going after symbolic activity they were calling it the the satanic panic but i said no Start looking at the grant money. Start following the money. That's prosecutable. And I gave him that paper. After that, not long after that, he died falling down the stairs of his home. And two people involved with that movement, one of him knew, I knew who she was because she worked with a relative of mine in Vermont, and she was there. That was, that happened, like I say, I had that conversation with him in the late 90s, mid-90s. Over the next year or two, things were going on, and I was, I just got scared. I ran out of Boston when something happened. I left completely. My daughter was out of state, and I said, I have to get out. Um, there was a, a state trooper that I, I named him to you. He's retired now. He took everything and put it in storage because he was looking into what happened along with Tom White. He was with the major crime unit. Tom White was with the Animal Humane Society over in Copley Square. And it was a mess. And I left and I didn't resurface again until I got to Texas. And then I got the news that Tom White was killed. Mm. Mm-hmm. And 
that's another program you can go into. Well, yeah, it's a wheels. You can talk to people in animal control history, not the ones who are working it now, but the ones who were working in it in the 1990s and, and maybe back even into the 80s. They were having a real house-to-house battle with the cults the feminist cult or whatever you want to call it, cult. It is a giant cult. Of course it is. That took over. And they were having battles because it was both the the plan of the cult to bring in this animal sacrifice religion as well as a sneaky way to get people into local government and rubbing elbows and they move up the ladder from, you know, dog catcher to county commission to state rep. Well, this is one of the things Glenn Beck talked about years ago, back in '08 and '09, when I first when I first got on radio, and Glenn Beck was a major influence of mine. Yeah, he talked about this uh, bottom up, uh, that concept of bottom up. It, it's it's quite literally a Marxist concept, and uh, that you start from the bottom up, and then at the same time you work from top down. And, you know, you get the people from the bottom up to get involved in the top down. And then eventually it now you have it. It's a pincer move. It's actually a Nazi move because the Nazis. It's classic Nazi. It's it's scientific Nazi tactics. Yeah. Yeah. And I was using the battlefield analogy. But Denise is right. It's the same thing. It applies politically. It's a pincer move is what it is. What it is, Denise. I want to thank you so much. Uh, I, I'm gonna get back on this. I've got some things coming up uh, tomorrow night, and um, but next week we're gonna. Uh, I'm gonna hit the paperwork in the books again, um, and of course I've got to work and everything else. You know how it is, what Denise. Is all that. <laughs> you mean life? Yeah, it gets life. in the way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Look, I'll send you. I'll send you some links and uh, some, you know, the names that you asked for, and we'll talk some more. Denise Mattel, thank you so much for calling in today. Well, God bless you and everyone listening. Tell them to share, share, share your podcast. Get it out there. All right. Good. Thank you. Thank you for that. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, uh, this thing is going on. Um, this guest that just called in, uh, Denise Mattel, um, is, uh, has, she has to deal with, it's like everything else. It's like what we talked about with Linda Gross. I mean, these, these parents who have to deal with these horrible things that go on with their children. I mean, Denise uh, lost her daughter uh, at Amherst uh, UMass College. And there's a whole cover-up going on there. And she sent me all sorts of paperwork. I've been researching that. And like I said before I say goodbye, you know, I've got a million other things I'm doing too. But this is an absolutely agreed... This whole thing was covered up. And she's been on the show before. And the podcast is out there. Just go on the Meat and Potato Show on ktntradio.com. Or just get hold of me on Facebook, and I'll get I'll send you the podcast. That's it's that simple. Hello.
So I got a couple of things I want to announce because we're coming up close to the top of the hour and I just want to get to some fun here and take a break. Tomorrow night, 90 Harding Street, the Compass Tavern. The Compass Tavern, you know, compass like the thing that ships steer by. The Compass Tavern, 90 Harding Street, 6 o'clock. Dr. Willie Soon is going to give his dissertation on climate change realism. This is something I have been working on for about two months now. That in conjunction with our great Worcester Tea Party. It's going to be an amazing event. I was just down at the Compass Tavern earlier tonight before I came on air uh, to check the room out, talk to the owner. We are on. We are set. I've been in touch with all the players involved. We are on. We are set. All lights are green. We are T-minus. See where I'm getting at here, folks? So tomorrow night, 6 p.m. I will probably start about 7, 7.30, but get there early. Great place, Compass Tavern, great food, great drinks. Got a bar there. Multimedia, I'm bringing uh, my portable sound system. I'm sure you saw some of the uh, photographs I put on my Facebook page. Uh, we got a we got a new system going here, and all of that is transportable. So all that is going down to the Compass Tavern tomorrow night to put on this multimedia display. I will be filming. That will go out on. Uh, the Meat and Potatoes YouTube page, Facebook, it'll just be out there. You, you guys know what I'm talking It'll just be out there everywhere. So tomorrow night, Dr. Willie Soon, Compass Tavern, 90 Harding Street, the Whistler Tea Party, and Meat and Potatoes. And here we are on KTNTRadio.com. I gotta take a break. I got to do some stuff. Again, let's celebrate real women. Here's some Grace Slick and Jefferson Starship.
racism still a major problem in America? President Barack Obama certainly thinks so. He said that racism is in our DNA. Really? If racism is in our DNA, doesn't that mean it's immutable, unchangeable? But America has changed, and dramatically so. In 1960, 60% of Americans said they would never vote for a black president. Almost 50 years later, the black man who said racism is in America's DNA was elected president, and four years later, re-elected. That's only the most obvious example of racial progress. There are many others. Take interracial marriage. As William H. Fry of the Brookings Institution wrote, sociologists have traditionally viewed multiracial marriage as a benchmark for the ultimate stage of assimilation of a particular group into society. Black-white marriages were still illegal in 16 states until 1967. And a 1958 Gallup poll found that only 4% of Americans approved of black-white marriages. Today, that number is 87%. In 1960, of all marriages by blacks, only 1.7% were black-white. Today, it's 12% and rising. Now, what about racial profiling and abuse of blacks by police? Doesn't that prove that racism remains a major problem? In the summer of 2014, Ferguson, Missouri became ground zero for this accusation when a white policeman shot and killed an unarmed black teenager. While a Department of Justice investigation of the incident cleared the officer of any wrongdoing, it did accuse the city's police department of racial bias. But what was the Justice Department's report's most headline-grabbing stat? The gap between the percentage of blacks living in Ferguson, 67%, and the percentage of those stopped by police for traffic violations who are black, 85%, an 18-point discrepancy. Racism, right? Not so fast. Blacks comprise 25% of New York City, but account for 55% of those stopped for traffic offenses, a 30-point discrepancy, far bigger than that of Ferguson. Why isn't the NYPD, a department that is now majority-minority, considered even more institutionally racist than the Ferguson PD? The answer is, you cannot have an honest discussion about police conduct without an honest discussion of black crime. Though blacks are 13% of the population, they commit 50% of the nation's homicides. And almost always the victim is another black person, just as most white homicides are against other whites. In 2012, 
According to the Center for Disease Control, police killed 123 blacks while, by the way, killing over twice that many whites. But that same year, blacks killed over 6,000 people, again, mostly other blacks. What about traffic stops? Unlike when responding to dispatch calls, police officers exercise more discretion when it comes to traffic stops. Therefore, racist cops can have a field day when it comes to traffic stops, right? Actually, no. The National Institute of Justice is the research agency of the Department of Justice. In 2013, the National Institute of Justice published a study called Race, Trust, and Police Legitimacy. Three out of four black drivers admitted that they were stopped by the police for a legitimate reason. Blacks, compared to whites, were on average more likely to commit speeding and other traffic offenses. The Institute wrote, Seatbelt usage is chronically lower among black drivers. If a law enforcement agency aggressively enforces seatbelt violations, police will stop more black drivers. The NIJ's conclusion? These numerical disparities result from differences in offending. In other words, not because of racism. Similarly, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration also found that blacks violate traffic laws at higher rates than whites. In every offense, whether it's driving without a license, not wearing a seatbelt, not using a child safety seat, or speeding. Is there still racism in America? Of course there is. But racism is not in America's DNA. Recent history and a lot of research and data prove it. As liberal Harvard sociologist Orlando Patterson said, America is now the least racist white majority society in the world has a better record of legal protections of minorities than any other society, white or black, offers more opportunities to a greater number of black persons than any other society, including all of those of Africa. Patterson, by the way, is black. I'm Larry Elder for Prager University. To subscribe to our YouTube channel, click here. To help keep our videos free, donate here.
Peter Webster. funds for personal expenses. 22 black, 22 black ass, son of a bitch. <laughs> Not you, giant African man. I'm, I'm sorry. Can I offer you a drink? How about this expensive prostitute? How? How did I spend that much money? Oh, oh my God. You killed a hooker. Call girls. No, was Cyril. When they're dead, they're just hookers. Defense will be calling Airman Cecil O'Malley and Airman Anthony Rodriguez. They were working the ground crew at Andrews at 2 a.m. on the 7th. Your Honor, these men weren't on the list. Rebuttal witnesses, Your Honor, are called specifically to refute testimony offered under direct examination. I'll allow the witnesses. This is ridiculous. Colonel, a moment ago, check the tower logs for Christ's sake. Well, we'll get to the airman in just a minute, sir. A moment ago, you said that you ordered Lieutenant Kendrick to tell his men that Santiago wasn't to be touched. That's right. And Lieutenant Kendrick was clear on what you wanted? Crystal. Any chance Lieutenant Kendrick ignored the order? Ignored the order? Any chance he forgot about it? No. Any chance Lieutenant Kendrick left your office and said, the old man is wrong? No. When Lieutenant Kendrick spoke to the platoon and ordered them not to touch Santiago, any chance they ignored him? You ever served in an infantry unit, son? No, sir. Ever served in a forward area? No, sir. Ever put your life in another man's hands? Asked him to put his life in yours? No, sir. We follow orders, son. We follow orders or people die. It's that simple. Are we clear? Yes, sir. Are we clear? Crystal. Colonel, I have just one more question before I call Airman O'Malley and Airman Rodriguez. If you gave an order that Santiago wasn't to be touched, and your orders are always followed, then why would Santiago be in danger? Why would it be necessary to transfer him off the base? Santiago was a substandard Marine. 
He was being transferred. That's not what you said. You said he was being transferred because he was in grave danger. That's correct. You said he was in danger. I said grave danger. You said is there any? I recall any... what I said. I can have the court reporter read back to you. I know what I said. I don't have to have it read back to me like I'm. Why two orders, Colonel? Sometimes men take matters into their own hands. No, sir. You made it clear just a moment ago that your men never take matters in their own hands. Your men follow orders or people die. So Santiago shouldn't have been in any danger at all, should he have, Colonel? You snotty little bastard. Your Honor, I'd like to ask for a recess. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. The court will wait for an answer. If Lieutenant Kendrick gave an order that Santiago wasn't to be touched, then why did he have to be transferred? Colonel? Lieutenant Kendrick ordered the code red, didn't he? Because that's what you told Lieutenant Kendrick to do. Object! When you went back, you cut these guys loose! Your Honor, you have marches inside a bony transfer! Your Honor, you doctored the logbook! You coerced the doctor! Consider yourself in contempt! Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago, and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives, and my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. We use words like honor, code, loyalty. We use these words as the backbone of a life spent defending something. You use them as a punchline. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. I would rather you just said thank you and went on your way. Otherwise, I suggest you pick up a weapon and stand a post. Either way, I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. Did you order the code red? I did the job. Did you order the code red? Goddamn right I did. Some nine-inch nails. Here we go, baby. I was tripping on mushrooms. This is from Socrates, New York, 1994. Tripping on mushrooms, baby. I was in the mosh pit. Conservative talk, awesome rock. Meat and potato show. You let me complicate you. Help me. I broke some of my insides. Help me. I've got no soul of sound.
See if we can get somebody up here uh, who wants to Skype in. Let's see if we can get hold of them. Uh oh. Sorry. Let's see if we can get hold of them. Yo. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, bluesmovers.com, my good friend, John Abrahamson. Uh, I Skyped him because he wanted to Skype in. John, how you doing tonight, brother? Oh, I'm doing great. It's, uh, where do I start? Where do you start? I know. know. (laughs) What do you think of the executive orders? (laughs) Uh, I'll I'll tell you, he's doing exactly what he said he was. And and I love what, uh, before you go on, uh, what I love, I I was doing my job today and I, I, I throw the radio on and I listen to talk radio as I'm doing my contracting job. And uh, so I'm listening to Rush Limbaugh, and he was talking about Trump signing executive orders. And the left is already saying, oh, he's signing, ex- he's operating by fiat. Hello, what did the last fucking guy do? But no, tr- uh, Rush Limbaugh corrected the record. It's like, no, all he's signing is stuff that was already signed into law decades ago and years ago. He's just instructing them to do he's this to tell him, yeah, thing. go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it. Do your job. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. Chuck Todd. Chuck Todd getting on Kellyanne Conway. Well, these are alternative facts. And and then Hillary's, Hillary's got her, uh, her website. It's like, correct the record. Well, isn't that alternative facts? Isn't that alternative facts? Isn't your... Hello, John. Isn't your yes, opinion... Sir. Your alternative facts? Isn't my opinion my alternative facts? Come on Everybody, here. you know, opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one, right? 
so, Chuck, Chuck, Chuck Todd, Chuck Todd goes on and says, oh no, but those are lies. And it's like, uh, Chuck, uh, you might want to, uh, look into your own network that you're broadcasting for. Yeah. All the world so, is so what is meat and potatoes show now fake news where, where alternative uh, facts. Well, that's, you know, you heard about the press room at the white house, right? Oh, I've seen. I've I've been watching it. It's unbelievable. And uh, well, I think I, I think Sean I, Spicer I, I, is doing a great job. Have they it to a larger place? Do they have the the uh, the Infowars of Breitbart up front? Yeah, I I love that. And and then they uh, I guess it was on Saturday oh, oh, or maybe the other media. day uh, that that he called on on the Christian network. He he called on them, and it's like who the fuck uh-huh. are these? And everyone in the room was like, who the fuck are these people? It's like, yeah, we've been here for like the past twenty years, and no one calls on us. And it's like that. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, the whole. You, you know what? The whole. You know what? The deck chairs on the sinking Titanic uh, have have just been arra- rearranged. Yeah, there's a whole new band. Everything's everything's different now. Everything's different now. It's and and the left hates this. They they don't know how to play by this playbook. They don't know how to do this. It's like, well, th- this is our playbook. Well, how, I, pl- I, I played on that Trump this? song. Go ahead, John. I played on that uh, Johnny Ray song. It's, did, you, did you read the story I sent you? No, I'm doing my radio show for crying out loud. Well, um, around Christmas week, December 28th, right? I see oh, his post by Johnny song. Ray, right? Hello? The Trump Christmas song. Not a Christmas song. No, you haven't heard it, have you? No, Play I... Play that I, video. I, I, can you get to your Skype messages? No, uh, no, I did. I saw, I saw the other ones before. Yeah. Do you think I have time to read every goddamn thing? Come on, did please. You, did you listen to the song? No. Play it. Play it. Play it play, now. Can you play it now? Play the song. Let me go in here. Where are we? Blues Movers. Let's go through messages. Let's go to Blues Movers. There's a video at the top of my website. Oh, that, that's right here. Trump president, great again, yeah, the song. Play, play it. There we go. I ran into this guy. I, 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 he's been an acquaintance on Facebook. I don't remember how. And he said, I don't care if I lose half my fans. I'm tired of people bashing Trump and his supporters. I wrote a song and get it out by the beginning of the year. And people are going like, well, we don't like Trump, but we love you, Johnny. And we'll, we'll, we'll support you. Here you we know? go. And okay. I go, can I help? I'm, I'm a Trump supporter and a pro-Trump player. Here we go. Here we go. It's got a lot of stop in the beginning. Play it. So think he's brilliant. Some say he's just blind, and others don't like it when he tweets at night. But I say this whole world is just a little too uptight. And I know you know what I mean. I met Mr. Trump down in Mar-a-Lago. And now I call him Mr. President. And he was so kind to me, kinder than he 
pretty good yeah play the horns on that don't you yeah that's me <laughs> so i on new year's eve i went swung by his uh studio in Ma- uh, mass on the way to rhode island and i wasn't really that far out of the way and made a new friend it was fun <laughs> good good for you that's awesome you know you know it's it's amazing uh, what's been happening? I I'm watching the market just go yeah. fucking ape shit. Um, Keystone Pipeline online now, baby. The drilling begins. The digging begins. Uh, the wall begins, and yep. it's it's not just executive orders. It's because the the money was already put aside, and it's already there, and it's just been sitting there. For a couple of decades, and hopefully it gained interest, so you know we can, you know, now we got even more money. Yeah, it, it's it's absolutely amazing. And one of the things I want to say about uh, the left is that you know somebody like Chuck Todd, who who comes on and talks to Kellyanne Conway, and tries to uh, manipulate the facts there. 
And you, yeah. you, you, John, are always big on photographs and conspiracy theory. And come, come to find out, come to find out that the two photographs that were, you know, ex- given ex- as examples of, oh, oh, Trump didn't have that many people. Yeah, turns out it's a lie. Yeah, the first photograph on the left is the one of Obama actually speaking. Yes, it was a monumental event, the first black American. Hello? Sure, there were millions of people. Then they showed the other photograph on the right side, and that's three hours before Trump even showed up. And let me tell you something, folks. Let me tell you something. That Friday was an off work week for me. So guess where I was Friday? On the couch watching the watching the inaugural. I was watching the inaugural. And so and, was I. It took a and day I off. Saw, I saw the camera pan. I saw it. I saw it sweep back, pan around, and the different. I was like, the fucking mall is packed. It's, it's packed all the way down to the Washington Monument. It's the yep. same goddamn thing. But the photograph that they showed when Chuck Todd, that piece of shit, and what starship warped in out of, out of space and, and put that guy behind um, a journalist's desks? You know, I grew up right. in the days of Harry Reisner, right. you know, Britt Hume and those guys. You know, even Bob Woodward, every once in a while, Fox News dusts off the mothballs and is like, let's get Bob in here to chime in on an issue here and there. He, you know, they they did that. Those are the guys I grew up with. Who the fuck is this Chuck Todd guy? And he's and he's he's jumping on this bandwagon. He's he's like that. Well, the photographs say something different. And, and it is so amazing that he does that. And, and, and John, hang on a second. I want to keep going here. Let me tell you another amazing thing that I've been watching in the news. You want to talk about conspiracy. You want to talk about manipulating language. You want to talk about manipulating the message that's out there. In the past couple of weeks, one of the things I have heard on, non, on mainstream media is pundits. I heard it with Chris Matthews, and then I heard it with Chuck Todd again, where they uttered the phrase. This is very important. You've got to listen to this. They uttered the phrase, well, the vast majority of Americans voted for Hillary Clinton. See, they're no longer using, oh, she won the popular vote. Now they're spinning it. Well, the vast majority of Americans elected Hillary Clinton. Folks, how if any of you here with Donald? Oh. Hang on, hang on, John. If any of you have read my blogs and what I have said multiple times, not only on my blogs, on the Lexington Green, and on Politician Reviews, and here on this radio show, all Hillary got was X. That's all she got. All she got was X. But the left is spinning the language, and you mark my words. I can't, I, I'm waiting for the third, fourth, and fifth time for this shoe to drop. That some pundit on the left says, Well, you know, the vast, well, blah, 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 blah. and as we all know, that the vast majority of Americans uh, elected Hillary Clinton, that they, 
see how they slip it in? They'll slip it in. And I heard it a couple of weeks ago with Chris Matthew, Matthews on PMSNBC. And then I heard it about a week ago with, Chris, uh, with Chuck Todd on CNN. And I was like, I had that moment of click. Wow, that's twice I've heard that. See, they're spinning the narrative. Go ahead, John. Take it from here now. Well, uh, I'm I'm just um, overjoyed at the pace at which Donald is hitting the mat with the um, uh, the necessary things he's doing. In my opinion, necessary. Well, oh my God! Uh, imagine a president who actually does what he says he's going to do. Imagine that. Oh, we can't have that. And now they're complete. You know, the you know it was like Obama said in the campaign he was going to be transparent, and he wasn't transparent at all. Donald is telling you what he's doing. He's tweeting directly to people. You know, you get a text message every time he says something, if you want. And and, and now it's too much for them. Their, their heads are spinning. Well, they can't is, keep up with it. They're right. used to dwelling on some, like, little minutia, sure. some little inconsequential thing that, that they're not used to somebody who's actually hitting the marks and doing something here, doing something there, doing something the other place. He introduces himself to the DHS, and at that point, that's when he gives the order to build the wall. He doesn't say, oh, we'll have another meeting in a month. We'll see how it's going, and then tell him. No, it's, it's already He's right and says, you're building a wall. You're going to start planning to build a wall right think, now. The money's available. Yeah. Why do you think and the market, market is, is finally hit that 20000 I think over the last couple of weeks, they were hes- hesitating. It's like, no, we know. And I think the stock marketeers... We're like, oh, I want to buy up this stock. I want to sell that stock. I want, you know, we're ha- we know, we know. We're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting, and boom, they were, they, they were, they were waiting for it, and then it went over twenty thousand. And it's not even just the stock market, because everybody knows, everyone knows that it's just go- it's it's uh, from here on out, as I've titled my show these past two nights. It's 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 from here on out. You're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. It's really going to be unbelievable. And some of the things I've said on my show before, it's this is going. There's there's talk about about Donald possibly releasing technology that the military has all locked up, like stuff they've derived from Tesla's notes. Oh, it's that, for peaceful use, you know, well, for to stimulate the economy, to not to keep it so close to the chest. Because there's some things, you know, I think that has been compartmentalized, you know, because well, that's hope, when Tesla lost his money when they couldn't well, charge for what he was going to provide. Listen, know. I hope I hope his Secret Service is good because there is a target on his head. And, and please, Secret Service, don't come to my show. Please don't come to my house. No, I, I'm just saying, please, guys. Watch out. Please protect our president. Please, 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 please. Uh, I, saw, I saw a photo. I don't know if it was a Photoshop or not. It didn't look like one of the, uh, the, the close-in guard to Trump and his family when they were walking down Pennsylvania Avenue. Oh, they and were, they, they were out. very tall. All of them bald, apparently, shaven heads, and taller than normal. You know, a very uh, imposing security team. <laughs> good, 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 good. 
Yeah, and then people are speculating, you know, are these are these hybrid alien men? What is this? Who are John, these guys? Are they are, are they are they the uh come on, John, don't go down there. Don't go yeah, down the there. good angels, you know. Well, if they are, then good. Then then they're they're the people that are watching out for us. And that's what should happen here. Uh you know, <laughs> you know, no one cared. You know, Obama had to have his secret service. But I don't exactly see somebody, you know, wanting to put a bullet. These leftists, though, these leftists really scared the shit out of me. And I've said many times on my show, I want want to see the left completely implode themselves. I want to keep them, I want to see them keep going the way they're going to go. Um. But at the same time, God, please protect our president. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Again, I was listening to Rush Limbaugh today, and he was reading reports that the Secret Service and that people in his staff, they're, they're not like, yeah, we just, we work for Trump. No, they love this man. They love working for this man. They're jazzed about being there. They can't wait to fucking just rub it to the road. They can't wait for that. They can't wait for that. And they're chomping at the bit. The Secret Service is the same thing. They, they, they are. The cops. Think about all the times during the campaign. How he'd get off his plane. He'd, he'd greet the cops. Have the, the photo ops. That kind of thing. They, they absolutely. They they. they be right there on his motorcade all the way to the next rally that he was going to. It's this is this is transferring into the presidency. These fucking people love this guy, and they are gonna fucking take a bullet for this guy. And it is unbelievable what has happened. The left can't comprehend this. They 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 can't conceive of this. Well, they thought they could manipulate opinion, but no longer because we have the free and open internet. What a wonderful thing that is! And like you just said, Trump is like he even said, "Should I give up my Twitter?" Should I? and the audience was like, and, "No, no." And he goes, "And I'll, I think I'll keep it." So I go and run around the media, and then they went nuts. Oh, yeah, and it, it is, and it is. I love watching his tweets. It's like. Yep. Oh, what'd you do today, Mr. President? <laughs> well, I, you know, oh, you text awesome. to 404, you know, send a text message to 40404 and say, follow at real Donald Trump. And, you and you're that's on it. it. And then when he tweets, you get a net notice right away on your phone. I don't even think he's going to use the POTUS thing. It's like, no, oh. they said he was going to, but he's still using real Donald Trump, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it because that's, that's, what what is it? Thirty. And that's million? how I knew about the ABC interview, and I got to watch it. I wouldn't have known it, about it. Thirty million followers across the country, and it's and it's growing by day. Now that he's president, the numbers are starting to click. The you know that whole you know trending thing, it's clicking up again. Yeah. <laughs> again, it's like the the master I, marketer and manager. Oh, I mean, he's so, he's so impressive. I you know I didn't know really him. Well, I just knew of the celebrity shows, and I knew he had a tower. I didn't know, and I knew he had oh, done you some read big building, but I didn't know the extent of oh, it. Oh, I, 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 I read, I, I read his two books. You, you got to read it. it. It's unbelievable. This guy 
is the consummate uh, marketer, and he's unbelievable at making things happen, not just in his business, uh, but anything he does in life. It's just part of his emo. It's part of his persona, is who he is. Yeah. It's like he gets up in the morning and it's not like, oh, I'm just going to walk around on my slippers. It's like, no, I want to do this and I want to get this done. And then at 10 o'clock, I got to go do this other thing. That's how he is. It's it's his entire yeah. And the guy says, don't you feel lonely bouncing around in here? And it's like, well, no, because I work more. And that's good because there's a lot to do. There's a lot of problems. I mean, he's so good. I mean, he was so good with that interview. They send this junior fella, uh, what, David Muir, I guess the name? I I didn't know him before. And it was like, he's, you know, Donald points out that the pro-life march next Friday is going to be as big or bigger than the the protest the day after the inaugural. Uh, Yeah, because they're going to be normal people. Right, but he says to he says to the ABC guy, but the media doesn't cover that. I hear, and the media guy goes, well, "We're not going to compare because crowd sizes." All he says, and Donald goes, "Well, I don't care about crowd sizes. I mean, what I'm trying to say is the media doesn't cover the pro life march. Why?" And um, and I, I don't know if he said it that way, but that's what I got. You know, as. And and I'm on Wonderful. radio, so I, I I have not looked at the uh, the interview. I know that interview went on tonight. I can't wait. Yeah, it's on. It just watch. happened. I I watched it just now. It was great. He was he was great. Of course, he was. Great. And he said, and and his Oval Office. You know what he's got? He's and the the camera would not pan and show the pictures, even though he pointed them out. They didn't do that. He's got Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln, Jackson. On the walls. Yep. In the Oval Office. Yep. There you go. And you know what? Uh, uh, Washington, Je- uh, Jefferson, Lincoln, and yeah, yeah, Lincoln, yeah. You know what? They didn't yeah. show him, so I'm trying to remember from the, what he said, you know, so I might be wrong. but You know, and, and I can't wait for the left to get on the case of the fact that he has Jefferson on there. Uh, Jefferson. Oh, the slave owner, Jennifer. Uh, you know, my English teacher pulled that shit on me and, and in 10th grade because I picked Jefferson in my class, you know, to yeah, talk about. Yeah, and not only Jefferson, but Jackson, too. I mean, Andrew Jackson, of course, you know, we know Andrew the whole, Jackson, the yeah, Indian We know that, yeah, the Trail of Tears and stuff. But Jackson was a Democrat. Hello, Democrats. Trail of Tears, but then, then again, Jackson, Jackson, my good friend John, who's on the uh, show tonight, uh, Jackson was the first to say no to a central national bank, and it's, and it's like, hello, this is why Trump has him up there. It's not for his Trail of Tears legacy. It's like, no, the central bank, no. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, and that paints the biggest target on Mr. Trump. What a brave man! It's what an incredibly brave man. This brings me back to the Secret Service thing. I said, please protect our president. Watch, watch his back. Pray to God, like they did the night before. Did you watch the appeal to heaven video I made? 
No, I did not. I'm sorry. Oh, on my blues overs, look for the video, An Appeal to Heaven. It was I filmed it on election eve at the Manchester Trump rally. Cool. I filmed the whole rally, but I broke out that first prayer. I don't know the guy's name. I heard him announced, and I, I didn't have my camera running because we were waiting on the floor. And I, I held my camera for two and a half hours and filmed that whole rally from the floor. And But the first five-minute prayer, what a prayer. Oh, my gosh. And 18,000 people, silent, in total agreement, all focusing on what the guy was saying. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what you think, but that was election eve. Maybe that had something to do with it. I, I'd say that's some pretty strong mojo right there, you know? It's, um, well, it's important to pay attention to, be, because we are at, yeah, this president, it's, we really are. We're in, in uncharted territory here. We really are. And, uh, this is like epic. This is, and, and I feel like I'm and, living and, in a science and, fiction and, and movie. And you know what? And you know something. what? Listen, listen, John, this is, this is what freedom and constitutional republic is supposed to be. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, you're in <laughs> uncharted territory. So, hello, America. What are wakey, you, wakey. What are you going to do? Yeah, wakey, wakey. What are you going to do? This is what our country's supposed to be. Is you. You out there. You got to run the country. You run Every the one country. Of us. It's our job to take care of this. It's it's just our yeah right. It's just our job. It's just the government's job to just make sure everything's running right and, and we keep things and safe. Protect people who have you are getting right, their rights right. violated and the, the rest of criminals. The, the rest is but, up to you. Go do something. <laughs> I've said this on my show a million times. Go invent something. Go make something. Oh, did you build that? Great. Fine. Put up a factory. Awesome. Oh, you hired 20 people? Great. Hire 20 more. That's, that's, go do it. Go do America. America's supposed, go do. Well, you know, the, you know, it's all the permission slips you got to apply for. So he's going to reduce regulations. He says by half, maybe more, maybe even three quarters. He said that. So he's going to cut regulations. A lot of these regulations are things that are barriers to getting into business to kind of protect the established businesses who have paid for lobbyists. So they say, you know, the one particular kind of business thinks up regulations that make it hard for like a guy who's just getting started to comply with. And he's going to cut that shit. That's so it's going to be like small business time, you know. Yes. In a lot of ways, that small businesses should do better. Hopefully. Yes, yeah, I wouldn't doubt less it. regulations. You, you know. know, he here's the thing. Trump will say something and the media cringes and the first thing they want to look at is like, oh, oh, he, he just said this thing. Let's disprove it. And he was talking about, oh, we're going to cut regulations massively, maybe 75%. You know, he's looking at his cabinet and looking at the people at the table and is like, what do you think? Maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe more, maybe more. And then the press is like, oh, he's, he's oh, they, they get all over it. No, and then three days later, it's like, yeah, we cut it 75%. And that's it. And everyone's like, what the fuck? 
my God. It's unbelievable. Again, the press can't get this guy. They don't get this guy at all. Right, and they send this junior reporter, David Muir, right, who I didn't know, the young guy, right, I said before, uh, the cub reporter, you know, and he's asking things like, well, you said that, you know, we should have kept the oil, we might get a chance to get it back. What do you mean by that? Are you going to go in there? Are you going to send, what are you going to send to send truth? And he goes, I don't want to talk about anything I would do like that until it's over. <laughs> but, Four. <laughs> oh my god, I gotta watch this interview. You I don't want to talk about it, out, it until it's over. Which means Trump that, is killing yeah, it, man. Exactly. He's killing in, it. in other words, it's like, yeah, if we had to go to war somewhere, yeah, first of all, our our armies would march across the country and wipe everything out in front of us. Well, he and says he says, Well, we're gonna over, go to Mosul, they talk about it. We're gonna go there in six months, and then yeah. we'll say we're gonna go there in four months, and then finally when they get there, they have a really hard time. Because they built up the fortifications and they're all ready for you, or they've left and fled the scene and they're not even there to capture them. Yeah, you know, it's like so. Donald's saying, you know, telling that to this reporter, it's like, you know, how stupid do you think we all are? Why do you think Donald's the president, you idiots? Yeah, yeah. When it's over, we'll talk about that. Yeah, when it's over, when our when our Marines look around and say eh, everything's in a smoking ruin. All right, what do you want to do, Mr. President? <laughs> That's it. That's exactly it. Uh, and, uh, and, and I'm sorry to say that about, you know, having to go throughout the world. But you know what? Listen, folks, you know, we idealize World War II as some sort of movie, as some sort of idealization of our historical past. Guess what, folks? This is how shit gets done. And it is a, it is bad. It's horrible. All right, all right the wars, you know, the Gulf War. The Gulf War, I think, was oh, probably... Sorry, the, such a waste, all that uh, shit. Ah, John, shut up. The, shouldn't the, have gone into Iraq. Just up. like Donald says, we shouldn't have gone into Iraq. He said that tonight, too. No, I'm talking about the Gulf gone. War. I'm talking about the Gulf Wars. War. The, yeah, Gulf War, the Gulf War was the last gasp of power, military, yeah. strength. You go in, you destroy everything in front of you, and that is it. And then the enemy Well, that was it. It wasn't a Sherman march to the sea or anything. It wasn't a Genghis Khan, you know. But it was it was swift. It was deep. It was a really quite a long exercise, a third ID going all the way up in there uh, from ba- Bahrain all the way up. Uh, the, from the Persian Gulf into Baghdad. But, but I think, Don, but I think what Donald had, Trump is you know, saying... It was, it was really a good operation, but you know what? It, we shouldn't have gone into that country. I mean, this was over the bank. So having that $20, you know, having Jackson on the wall because of the bank is very hopeful for me because, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I just... I, the bank needs to be fixed because China has bought the gold and they got the reserve currency permission now from the IMF, I think it is, or from the global whatever it is, more global mucky muck, you know, okay, currency thing. So, uh, are are you done going off on your, uh, uh, you know, Council on Foreign Relations tangent here? Okay, well, what I was talking about, <laughs> what I was talking about. 
was the Gulf War and the last the last gasp of of power and might from, rolling from across a, rolling across a desert and yeah. and that was it even even John even said right. it, to Ramstein's here comes the sun eins drei zwei you know <laughs> okay that was the Gulf War, man. Yeah. So what I'm saying is that Donald Trump, if ever we have to go to war, what Donald Trump is saying is it's going to be that same damn thing. It's not going to be a police action. We're not going to go through the UN. We're not going to play this game. Send a few troops. Send a few thousand more. Oh, you know, do this. John, shut the fuck up for five minutes. <laughs> It's not going to be this sending troops, this, that, the other thing that we've been in. If we're going to go to war, we're going to roll the fucking wave of steel across the country. And that's going to be it. Because this is Donald Trump. And it's got nothing to do with threatening the world. It's got everything to do with what Donald Trump is. It's got everything to do with what America is supposed to be. Is that we're not going to play this game anymore. We're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to be the schoolyard monitor anymore. You guys have fucked up. That's your problem. In fact, the well, fact he, that we're going to charge, we're gonna, you know, the NATO thing with oh, Germany um, falling into trouble because of the I can't immigrants even they put. Here. Every time we're I have stop John here, giving them money. Every time I have John here, I can't finish my thought here. I'm sorry. He's the consummate liberal here. Oh, really? <laughs> I would hardly say that. Yeah, yeah jumping over the, the last the last uh, few words of my sentence here. Look, it's not going to be the same thing. We're going to march our armies all over the world. What's what Donald Trump was saying about we're going to have the be- best military and you're going to fear us. And what he said in his speeches about we're never going to have to use us, use the military, because we're going to have the greatest one. We're never going to have to use it. The left saw that as empty words. But he was actually oh, he was actually using Roman history. And Teddy. The, the fear. I don't care if you like us. I don't even care, care if you respect us, as long as you fear us. And this is going to be the new stalwart of the Donald Trump foreign policy. And you know who's actually on board with this, despite what the left says? You know who's actually on board with this worldwide? Russia. Because Russia's been saying this goddamn thing for the past eight years. They've been saying the same damn thing. This is why Donald Trump Vladimir Putin might become best world buddies over the next few years because they will. Yeah. Well, hell, well, again, we got we a did, lot in common. You hang know. on, hang on, John. Hang on, John. We did this before in World War Two. Yeah, we'll we do it again. Up. Oh, not just that. Civil War too. Lincoln and Russia together. Civil War. Hello. I'm here. Uh, in the Civil War, Russia sent two fleets of, sh- of naval ships 
one of the East Coast to help another one to station off of San Francisco to serve support for the Union. Sure. That's right. Civil War. It was France and and England that were sending stuff to the rebels because England wanted its its colonies back. Yep. And and, that's uh, what was going on. We're natural allies with Russia. We we have been many times. Yeah. Russia red scare is ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, um, you know, so in his campaign, when Trump was talking about Syria and, and talking about Russia, yeah, have at it. I mean, everyone flipped out. And I, I when I heard that, I was like, well, I've, duh, I've been saying that on my radio show for the past year. It's like, yeah, go on. We spent enough blood and treasure over there. Go have at it. China, you want in? You guys join in too. Come on. Let yeah, yeah, go ahead. You know, that whole Middle Eastern thing has been a bloodbath of European and Asian fucking bodies. Well, so, and every time so go we, ahead. Well, they've been destabilizing it because they they're they're they were trying they're tr- they stir in our hornet's nest for use later. Uh, in their global plan, and and Trump is short circuiting that, and it's a very it's a godsend, literally. Yeah, I agree with that. that. He's short circuiting yep. that. Yep. I now, agree hopefully, with it's that. not too late. You know, it's a little bit to worry about here. You know. Well, uh, the B fifty twos are already flying. They're already out there. They are laying down. They are, and that's a Ted Cruz thing. Ted Cruz said, "Carpet bomber," and I got instead of it's. I got me a Chrysler. It sits about twenty. I got me a P fifty two. I got a B fifty two. It drops about twenty. <laughs> right. <laughs> I got a Chrysler at seats 20. I got a B-52. Yeah, it drops about 20. <laughs> Open yeah. those doors. Release the hatch. <laughs> Goodbye, ISIS. We'll find out when we reconstruct you if we can find out any dog tags to see if you're CIA or if you're real natural terrorists or if you're a mixture or what the fuck you are, but you're done. <laughs> Yeah, this is the great thing. The great thing about America, I mean, you know, B-52, man, that's a Chevy truck. That's a Chevy or a Ford Chrysler, whatever you want to call it. Really, it's, 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 it. you know what, a B-52 is like a, a, a contractor or a farmer or somebody who finds a old Chevy truck in a barn, and it's like, well, it looks like shit. Does it run? Okay, the tires are flat. But they put the key in, pump it a couple of times, turn the key. Yeah, there you Boom. go. She'll fly. She'll fly. The buff. There you the go. Buff. She'll fly. So, so now listen. Throw B-52, a bunch of bombs I, in the back deck. We'll drop back, them out back, on our back way. When I, back when I believed a little more, I, I used to get Air and Space magazine, but I don't get it anymore, even though I have the charter issue. And in one time I cried because they showed all these B-52s out in the West that they had cut in half. Yeah, right. As part I know of the disarmament yeah. thing. Yeah, and that. I was crying over that issue. I was like, what the fuck is this? 
They should leave the planes in the desert. Maybe you wouldn't need them for something. Maybe you need an airlift or something someday, you know? Well, here's the thing about that. I did a little research into that, and it, it's like, yeah, they were de- destroyed because they they uh, were quite literally stripped out right to the gun yeah. walls. I mean, they were. Yeah, there yeah, was yeah. nothing. There's pictures of them all dismembered I mean, uh, in the desert yeah, from the, yeah, it was aerial shots. Nothing shot. left but but fucking studs and wires. They pulled everything out of them. But but even yeah. still, you know, a lot of people. I've heard that that say, "Oh, we're still flying." The, we don't have the technology. We don't have the the mechanics. We don't have the 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 material to put that. No, listen. You know, we we do what Israel does. We Pull the plane in, and we have dozens of them, if not more, hundreds, hundreds of them. They pull them into the hangar, a bunch of crews go in, and they strip the fuck out of everything, everywhere. And then they refit it with all brand new avionics. And this then, is the frame, man, that's all. It's just, it, yeah, again, this is what I'm saying, my Chevy truck analysis. It, it's, well, that's why I was crying because they had cut the frames on these ones yeah, in the desert, yeah, it, you know. It, you know, uh, that's it. And they probably cut the frames and then melted the steel and said, "Yeah, send them back to Andrews Air Force Base because they need a fucking wing, fucking hangar thing for, you know." That's what I'm saying. They need something. It's like a Chevy truck. It's like, yeah, fucking start the thing up. Look, it runs. There you go. Oh, and I got, wow, I got air conditioning. And a fucking FM stereo with a fucking DVD and a CD player. Oh, that's awesome. And and you just, you don't have to push the throttle anymore. You just push a button and the fucking plane takes off down the runway. And we've got a dashboard with all computers. And it's like, this plane was built in what? When was this plane built? 1954? Awesome. Fucking awesome. And it's got a fucking television screen. That I just I don't even have to fly the plane. I just push a button, and I fly around the world and I bomb shit. Oh. So so that's I think ISIS get rolled up pretty quick. Um, hopefully there won't be a war. I don't think there's going to be a war with Russia. I'm a little worried about China announcing their that their currencies is going to compete with ours. That could hurt us. But, you know, that's probably something like that's probably going to happen, especially if Trump's going to put tariffs Let on it. imports. Let so it. things will get rearranged. Let it. Let it. Yeah. L- listen, yeah, this, is, this, this is the thing. History isn't supposed to be what we've seen over the last 20 years. And I said in my blog, and I read it on the show, it's like, it, 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 it's, it's like in the past 20, 30, 50 years, it's like the same reruns. Think about, for a moment here, folks, about what I do on the Meat and Potato Show, how none of the songs I play are, okay, they're artists that you all know, but it's never the same shit that you hear all the time on mainstream radio. The reason why I'm saying that is it's kind of like history. We've been seeing this shit over and over and over again. We've been seeing this. Suddenly, poof, out of nowhere, it's all been thrown away. It's all a whole brand new time. This is supposed to happen. It is supposed to happen because if it doesn't happen, then we stagnate and we die. Yeah. So, 
I, I think, um, I think that, um, people on, are going to be very surprised if they're not already at how well, uh, things turn around you know one this is like a 180 that we've done as a country by electing donald trump right it's like we've done a 180 well that's what i'm saying i mean everything completely around but this is not like a k-turn 180 you know like in a nice suburban street this is like a steam queen freaking bullet sliding freaking stunt car driver 180 you know like yep or you know fbi agent 180 we have we we have listen like, uh, oh one, we're gonna go that way now yeah listen one of the things that I have said um in uh, uh, again uh, about uh, our revolution um in 1775 is not only was it revolutionary it was evolutionary it completely turned on its head the entire system of government. What we have witnessed in 2016 is that same thing. We have that that entire coin has not only just been flipped over, it's been thrown off the table and there's a whole other deck of cards. There's a whole other deck of cards. And this is supposed to happen in history. This is what is supposed to happen. We are supposed to grow, go through that crucible go through that catharsis go through that evolution in order to bring in the next thing that's going to be and and, and i i'm just oh my god i i can't believe that i'm i'm living in this time i'm i thank god i'm living in this time yeah it's exciting um, I, I can't wait. So, I can't wait. I can't wait to see what the next hundred days brings. I can't wait. Um, I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah. Hey, so I played a gig with the the, the big swinging thing again. By the way, that's the other thing. I want to I want to say goodbye to you in a few minutes to get uh, to the end of my show. As we go here, I want you to give uh, all your stuff that you're doing. Um, go ahead, John. All right, well, um, I'm playing Rosemary's Baby Blues at Pittman Freight Room in Laconia on Saturday. Uh, I'm playing at her grandma's funeral the next day, sadly, but it's early. Um, But last week in Plymouth, New Hampshire, at the Flying Monkey Music Hall, uh, it was the uh, Mike Gerard's Big Swing and Thing, which is a 20-piece classic rock band, and it was a blast. And... um, we're going to be at the cannery in Southbridge, Mass. on April 7, coming up in a couple months. So, um, and then also, what else? So, Roger Cerisi's All-Stars. Um, I, um, I played at Foxwoods with them on Friday the 3rd and with Rosemary at uh, Fireflies on February 4th. I mean, so February 3rd at Foxwoods Atrium Bar with Roger. Cerise's All Stars have been a band for 15 years. It's a wonderful band, pretty much like Woonful Blues, if you know that one. And then, um, and then with Rosemary up at the uh, Fireflies in Marlboro on February 4. And then my website, bluesmovers.com, has uh, 
the updates, and I usually try to keep at least the next month up there. Bluesmovers.com. Yeah. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. I got to get to some other stuff, and I want to close out. I got a busy day ahead of me tomorrow. All right, man. All right. Hey, thanks for calling in, man. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Anytime, man. Anytime. You just let me know. You always know you have an open voice here. Good night. Republicans are racist, right? Well, that's what everyone says. Racist. 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 But which party is the real party of racists? Hey guys, my name's Emma Katz, and I'm about to tell you something you've never learned before because your history teacher didn't want you to know about it. You probably learned that the Democrats have always played a major role in achieving racial equality and justice. I bet you learned about the Civil Rights Movement in the 1960s. But do you know about the Civil Rights Movement in the 1860s? The Civil Rights Revolution of the 1960s did nothing more than secure guarantees for equal rights and voting rights that had already been put into the Constitution a hundred years previously by the Republican Party. More Republicans than Democrats voted for the 1964 Civil Rights Act. The 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery, passed with 100% Republican support. 77% of Democrats voted against it. The 14th Amendment, which gave black citizenship and equal rights, passed with 94% of Republican support. 100% of Democrats voted against it. The 15th Amendment, which gave slaves the right to vote, passed with 100% of Republican support. 100% of Democrats voted against it. The Ku Klux Klan was a group of crazy racist Republicans, right? Wrong. The Ku Klux Klan was founded by Nathan Bedford Forrest. White man's country! Get white rule! He was the first Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan and the pledge delegate to the Democratic Convention. The KKK targeted over 3,000 black and 1,000 white Republicans. The 1924 Democratic National Convention is even called the Klan Bake because the Democrats refused to condemn the KKK. You know about Rosa Parks, right? But have you heard about Ida B. Wells? Long before Rosa Parks refused to sit in the back of the bus, Ida B. Wells refused to give up her first-class train seat to a white man. The reason we don't hear more about this is because Ida B. Wells was a Republican. What about the big party switch? You know, the theory that everyone in the Republican Party suddenly became racist and everyone in the Democratic Party stopped being racist? Let's make a list and we'll see who switched. Ready for the big switch? We'll go from Democratic Blue to Republican Red. So here it is. Yes, that's it. Less than 1%. The big switch is a big lie. Blacks became Democrats in the 1930s because of the New Deal. Southern whites became Republicans from the 1970s through the 90s as the South was becoming more prosperous. They didn't switch because of racial issues. They switched because of economic reasons. So why did Democrats always blame slavery on Republicans and lie about the big party switch? The same reason why one of the most racist presidents, Democrat Lyndon Johnson, finally signed the Civil Rights Act of 1964. They want the black vote. Are you saying that today's Democratic Party continues to use blacks for their political advantage? 
Absolutely, that's exactly what I'm saying. And it's up to you and me to educate ourselves and anyone else we can before the next election so that we can stop the real racists from being elected. I got all the clips and basically all the information in this video from Dinesh D'Souza's movie, Hillary's America, and I highly suggest it if you want to learn more about the true history of the Democratic Party. Bye, guys. your feelings and say the words. Come on. I love you, Dad. I love you too, son. Okay, group, we have some newcomers here today with us. Say hello to Scott and his father, Mr. Avil? Evil, actually. Doctor. Evil. Hello, Hello, Dr. Evil. Hello, Hello, Scott. Scott. Hello, everybody. So, Scott, why don't we start with you? What brings you here with us today? Well, I just really met my dad for the first time five days ago. I was partially frozen his whole life. That is beautiful that you can admit to that. He comes back, and, and now he wants me to take over the family business. But, Scott, who's going to take over the world when I die? Listen to the words he used. Who's going to take over the world when I die? Feels like that to some of us sometimes, doesn't it? So, what do you want to do, Scott? I don't know. I was thinking I like animals. Maybe I'd be a vet. An evil vet? No. Maybe like work in a petting zoo. An evil petting zoo? You always do that! I just think like he hates me. I really think he wants to kill me. Now, Scott, we don't want to kill each other in here. We might say that we do sometimes, but we, we really don't. <laughs> Actually, the boy's quite astute. I really am trying to kill him, but so far and successfully, he's quite wily like his old man. This is what I'm talking about. Okay, well, we've heard from you, Scott. Now, uh, you, tell us a little about yourself. The details of my life are quite inconsequential. Oh, no, please, please. Let, let's hear about your childhood. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Very well. Where do I begin? My father was a relentlessly self-improving boulangerie owner from Belgium with low-grade narcolepsy and a penchant for buggery. My mother was a 15-year-old French prostitute named Chloe with webbed feet. My father would womanize, he would drink, he would make outrageous claims like he invented the question mark. Sometimes he would accuse chestnuts of being lazy, the sort of general malaise that only the genius possess and the insane lament. My childhood was typical. Summers in Rangoon, luge lessons. In the spring we'd make meat helmets. When I was insolent, I was placed in a burlap bag and beaten with reeds. Pretty standard, really. At the age of 12, I received my first scribe. At the age of 14, as a roastery named Vilma, ritualistically shaved my testicles. There really is nothing like a shorn scrotum. It's breathtaking. I suggest you try it. You know, we have to stop.
is about replacing a failed and corrupt political establishment with a new government controlled by you, the American people. The Washington establishment and the financial and media corporations that fund it exist for only one reason, to protect and enrich itself. The establishment has trillions of dollars at stake in this election. For those who control the levers of power in Washington and for the global special interest, they partner with these people that don't have your good in mind. Our campaign represents a true existential threat like they haven't seen before. This is not simply another four-year election. This is a crossroads in the history of our civilization that will determine whether or not we the people reclaim control over our government. The political establishment that is trying to stop us is the same group responsible for our disastrous trade deals, massive illegal immigration, and economic and foreign policies that have bled our country dry. The political establishment has brought about the destruction of our factories and our jobs as they flee to Mexico, China, and other countries all around the world. It's a global power structure that is responsible for the economic decisions that have robbed our working class, stripped our country of its wealth, and put that money into the pockets of a handful of large corporations and political entities. This is a struggle for the survival of our nation. And this will be our last chance to save it. This election will determine whether we're a free nation or whether we have only the illusion of democracy, but are in fact controlled by a small handful of global special interests rigging the system, and our system is rigged. This is reality. You know it, they know it, I know it, and pretty much the whole world knows it. The Clinton machine is at the center of this power structure. We've seen this firsthand in the WikiLeaks documents in which Hillary Clinton meets in secret with international banks to plot the destruction of U.S. sovereignty in order to enrich these global financial powers, her special interest friends, and her donors. Honestly, she should be locked up. The most powerful weapon deployed by the Clintons is the corporate media, the press. Let's be clear on one thing. The corporate media in our country is no longer involved in journalism. They're a political, special interest, no different than any lobbyist or other financial entity with a total political agenda. And the agenda is not for you, it's for themselves. Anyone who challenges their control is deemed a sexist, a racist, a xenophobe. They will lie, 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 and then again, they will do worse than that. They will do whatever is necessary. The Clintons are criminals, remember that. This is well documented, and the establishment that protects them has engaged in a massive cover-up of widespread criminal activity at the State Department and the Clinton Foundation in order to keep the Clintons in power. They knew they would throw every lie they could at me and my family and my loved ones. They knew they would stop at nothing 
to try to stop you. Nevertheless, I take all of these slings and arrows gladly for you. I take them for our movement so that we can have our country back. I knew this day would arrive. It's only a question of when. And I knew the American people would rise above it and vote for the future they deserve. The only thing that can stop this corrupt machine is you. The only force strong enough to save our country is us. The only people brave enough to vote out this corrupt establishment is you, the American people. Our great civilization has come upon a moment of reckoning. I didn't need to do this, folks, believe me. I built a great company and I had a wonderful life. I could have enjoyed the fruits and benefits of years of successful business deals and businesses for myself and my family, instead of going through this absolute horror show of lies, deceptions, malicious attacks. Who would have thought? I'm doing it because this country has given me so much, and I feel so strongly that it's my turn to give back to the country that I love. I'm doing this for the people and for the movement and we will take back this country for you and we will make America great again. With the firm alliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes and our sacred honor. By God's will and only by God's will shall I see all of you here next week. The word is about there's something revolving. Wherever they come, the world keeps revolving. They say the next big thing is here, that the revolution's near. But to me it seems quite clear. KTNT Radio.com, the meat and potato show, conservative talk, and awesome rock. Broadcasting here at Ambush Studios in central Massachusetts. I want to thank Linda Gross, Denise Mateo, John Abrahamson calling into the show. And we'll all see it again. Because we've seen it before. Meat and Potato Show. I'm out of here, folks. Bye.
night, Dr. Lily Soon, Compass Tavern, 90 Harding Street, Worcester, Mass. different.